Hogan, history might not mean anything to you. The names like Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, the Funks, the Briscoes. I could go on and on. History doesn't mean much to you, but it means something to me. So maybe Sting said it best a couple of weeks ago. Hulk Hogan, you and the rest of the NWO can stick it. <laughs> really alone. And I know that I feel the same way about you today as I did the day I said I'd do. Found that right there is your cheap imitation. You get what you pay for, don't you? The real sting may or may not be in your price range. But the only thing that's for sure about Sting is nothing's for sure. Do you know what bothers you? I'm the only guy you have never been able to beat. He's right. And I'll tell you something else. You're going to admit it. I am as big an icon in this sport, and whether you want to say it or not, you at least have the guts to put your hand out, and you shake my hand, and you admit that it isn't you that brought all these people here. It's all these people here that made you. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast going back in the time machine to October of 1996 for Volume 1 of this month's show. Volume 2 takes us to WWF and In Your House Buried Alive. Volume 3 take a trip to ECW looking at two shows this month. Here in Volume 1 looking at WCW and Halloween Havoc. I'm being joined firstly by Peter Kimmer. Pete, hello. Hello, Bob. How are you doing? You okay? Uh, well, I'm, I'm okay and another man who's probably only okay, Craig Wilson. Greetings, hello. Yeah, we're kind of walking wounded this morning. Uh, you, you, uh, my, my voice probably sounds a bit more nasal than usual, and uh, and Craig as well, but we will plough through it. Uh, speaking of which, Craig kicks off with the news. Yep, uh, despite offering him a contract that would have made him earning almost on par with Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart declined WCW's advances in favour of signing a 20-year contract with the WWF. The WCW offer in the midst of wild rumours and conjecture, was reportedly worth as high as $3 million a year, uh, almost as much over three years as the WWF one was over 20. WCW were so convinced the offer was good enough, they actually started making booking plans involving him, and on top of the wrestling, we'd also see Brett getting a, a lot of movie work under the Turner umbrella. Hulk Hogan signed a three-year contract with WCW this month, supposedly, and believe this if you want to, turning down a five-year deal with WWF worth $5 million a year. Allegedly, the deal would have involved Hogan winning the Royal Rumble and another WWF title reign as a heel. Brett's WWF deal apparently involved the promise of a win over Hogan if he were to return. One man who could be returning to the WWF is Randy Savage. While things are still being worked out, it's thought that the end of the Halloween Havoc could be a way of writing off the character if he does end up leaving. 
The biggest story coming out of the W3W pay-per-view this month was actually a surprise appearance of Rowdy Roddy Piper, who confronted Hogan at the conclusion of the show. The angle which saw both men largely respect each other and Hogan give P- Piper far more credit than he would have expected before the segment ran so long that the show went off-air while the pair were still talking in the ring. What this all means isn't quite clear yet, but given that Piper mentioned Hogan never defeated him, expect Hogan to get that win sooner rather than later. Halloween Havoc was, as many WCW pay-per-views have been recently, full of very good in-ring action on a very little note, followed by dire matches involving the NWO. Savage and Hogan in the main event saw Hogan wrestle the first five minutes in a wig before Savage had the title won. That was before substitute referee stopped his count after feeling his neck. The giant chokes Lance Savage on the outside and then rolled him into the ring for a sparked-out Hogan to pin him to retain the title. There are otherwise wins for Dean Malenko, winning the Cruiserweight title, Diamond Dallas Page, The Giant, Six, Lex Luger, The Faces of Fear, and The Outsiders winning the tag team titles. Ric Flair will be out for the foreseeable future for surgery on a torn rotator cuff, which has all but ruled him out of action for the rest of the year. Flair remained a prominent feature on WCW television, now as the de facto manager of the debuting Jeff Jarrett who right out of the gate has been placed as one of the major men opposing the NWO. After basically being made to look like idiot to the middle of the month, the Nasty Boys returned and should be another act that will be opposing the NWO after their membership was rejected. Sting also returned this month, but after a brief promo saying the NWO probably couldn't afford him, stayed largely silent, appearing high in the arena on October 28th wearing white and black face paint. Reports are that there's tension building between Hall and Nash against Hulk Hogan, given where the NWR is going. It's said they think Hogan is taking too much liberty over the angle. While the pair are also unhappy at the amount of money Hogan is making, it's said there's also a lot of frustration involving those outside of the group. Nash and Hall's contracts stipulated a certain number of house show appearances, and it's said they're well ahead of that schedule currently. It's said there are more house shows planned for next year and that WCW wants to focus on increasing the quality of those events with many of the current shows resembling Bush League versions of Nitro. Eric Bischoff walking out at the conclusion of the September 30th Nitro was actually a shoot. Bischoff left to go to the hotel room to try and salvage the NWO segment in his room. Mean Gene Okerlund is close to returning what's said to be a much reduced role that will see him solely work nitros and pay-per-views. Heaven forbid no more hotlines. WWF have been running commercials during Nitro to try and get people to tune into Raw. One right before Raw starts and one before the final quarter hour. A riot broke out in the crowd during a Harlem Heat public enemy match at, at WCW Saturday Night Taping with the cause having racial undertones. It was said it was broken up and was largely edited And just a reminder that we can now find us on Patreon for five bucks a month. You can get early access to shows when they're available, or you just want to say thank you for us to filling your month with the latest years ago action from 20 years ago in wrestling. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20YRS on our website or in the link in the podcast description. Now, <clears throat> on to the TV review, TV ratings for the month. It's going to be one of those shows. Sorry about this. Uh, Nitro dominated ratings of the month starting with a 3.3 to a 2.3 victory on September the 30th. On October the 7th, Nitro did a 3.5 to Rules 2.1. 
on October the 14th, nitrogen at 3.3 to Raw's 1.8. October the 21st, despite the return of Bret Hart, Raw still lost out 2.6 to 3.2. And October the 28th, Raw did a 2.0 against Nitro, against Nitro doing a 3.6 coming off of the pay-per-view. And I think as of next week, it will be very soon, Raw is moving forward both an hour and three minutes. Uh, so Raw will go on air at 7.57 and Nitro will go on air at 8 o'clock. Raw will still be an hour. So Nitro is now posing the Raw is now posing the first hour of Nitro rather than the second. For Jeff Jarrett making his World Championship Wrestling debut, but and I say World Championship Wrestling, we saw you arrive in the black limousine, and it's apparent to all of the announcers that you are part of the NWO. But I need to ask you: Are you another in the long line of these vandals that are coming out of the woodwork of the NWO? What's the story, Jeff Jarrett? Well, Tony Schiavone, I'm going to give you the answer, and I'm going to make a few statements in reply to a few things that Hulk Hogan has been saying the last couple of months. Tony Hulk Hogan, because I've had a few months off and I've had time to reflect and listen. And Hulk, you said that you were bigger than the wrestling industry itself. You said that you made the wrestling business. You said if it wasn't for you, that promoters like Vern Gagne in Minneapolis would have never existed. That if it wasn't for you, that my father, Jared Jared, another promoter in Tennessee, if it wasn't for you, he wouldn't have existed. Well, you didn't put one meal on my father's table, and you damn sure didn't put any food on my table. No sirree. You know, it seems like you seem to forget about history. You forget you, Hulk Hogan. You started in Tennessee. Hogan, history might not mean anything to you. The names like Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, the Funks, the Briscoes. I could go on and on. History doesn't mean much to you, but it means something to me. So maybe Sting said it best a couple of weeks ago. Hulk Hogan, you and the rest of the NWO can stick it. We open up on October the 7th with Tony Schiavone and Larry Sabisco casting doubts on whether Miss Elizabeth is indeed part of the NWO, showing her in their hotel room with movie scripts for getting afraid at the arrival of the Macho Man. We also see highlights of Harlem Heat regaining the tag titles from the Public Enemy. The NWO interrupt their non-title match from Mike, with Mike from the stands. Booker T and C. Ray getting the win thanks to a lengthy Sherry distraction. Backstage, Jack Jarrett arrives in a stretch limo. A neck break, Nick Patrick announces the $1 million fine on Randy Savage. Dallas Page gets a quick win over Jim Powers with a diamond cutter. Seemingly nonplussed about his fine, Macho Man brings up the recent performance of the Slim Jim NASCAR. Megan Barbarian beat High Voltage. Glacier makes his cool entrance to fakes Mike Wenner. Tony and Larry put Glacier over big throughout and he wins before he even gets his own exit, counting down to hour number two. Double J makes a somewhat lackluster entrance for his debut. His atrocious white gear seemingly go against the assertions of the commentators that he's enjoying the NWO. Jarrett beats Hugh Morris with a figure four on the banjo's hip. Post-match, Jarrett calls out Hogan and decries him for claims he made wrestling, name-checking Vern Gagne, the Funks, the Briscoes and his father, Jerry. One of wrestling's great mismatches seen Arn Anderson drag the Renegade to a half-decent match, AA winning with the DDT, destroying the Renegade trying not one, but two due to the line of handspring corner splashes, Luger saving a post-match beatdown. 
Squire David Taylor besmirched his jeans on his way to the ring to face Luger, Lex getting the quick win. Armchairing Luger on the way, Lex's way to the back. Rick Steiner best Chris Benoit, nailing Mongo and Benoit with the horseman briefcase after a lengthy slugfest. Backstage we see the arrival of the Giant and Hogan who says he's had some business to take care of. Macho arrives for the main event. In the back Hogan sends the nasties away with DBRC and some paperwork. Ric Flair gets jumped by the rest of the NWO. We don't see that bit, we do see the aftermath. Hogan takes out Savage. Liz tries to stop him but drags her by the hair and Giant carries Macho back to the ring. The crowd starts to fill the ring as Hogan and Savage uh, Hogan finishes Savage. Liz is forced to watch as Randy gets outlined with spray paint instead of chalk. After a Hogan promo, in comes Six and an NWO monster truck and they threaten to take out the desk before we fade to black. First up on October the 14th, Dean Malenko defeats Brad Armstrong. Malenko still carrying around the mask he took from Rey Mysterio Jr. If you want to look dapper in denim, you can buy the new NWO denim shirt as modeled by Michaels for $39.95 plus $7.95 in shipping and handling. Saturday night's replay shows Hacksaw Jim Duggan almost lose after he defeats Wall Street. But the decisions reverse after Nick Patrick spots Duggan's take fists. Hacksaw wins tonight's rematch. Reference Duggan sticking his tongue out while his hand is down his tights gets no prettier on second viewing. And Duggan against Wall Street will never end. A match-heavy first hour continues with Hugh Morris defeating Jim Powers with a moonsault. Nick Patrick up to his usual antics. Lex Luger beats Greg Valentine with the torture rack. In a pre-tape, Miss Elizabeth cuts the promo of her life, begging Macho to talk to her. Savage is left speechless and the crowd are on edge. Eddie Guerrero cuts a Cajun white meat promo on Dallas Page before beating the Cheetah Kid in a quick win. Cheetah Kid being Rocco Rock. Jeff Jarrett then gets a second uh, win, defeating Big Bo Rogers, punching Jimmy Hart in the mouth in the process. Post-match, Jarrett gets confirmed by to face the Giant at Halloween Havoc, replacing Ric Flair. In the main event, it's the Harlem Heat versus the Faces of Fear. The outsiders come through the crowd, but Randy Anderson calls the match and sends them to the back. And no contest in a Nitro main event? Bischoff hints at unstable Randy Savage, perhaps weighing up leaving his boots in the ring. Hogan leads the entire NWO, flanking a reluctant Liz to the ring. The gang easily get their best reaction so far, but there's still a smattering of trash. Elizabeth tries to slap Hogan mid-promo, but gets cut off. Vincent holds aloft the NWO title as Hogan rips Randy and the Nasties, then join the party. Hogan low-balls the Nasties' contracts, and the rest of them beat down on the Nasties for the get-tagged. Hogan leaves on the note that Liz did and always will be dreaming of him, not Savage. Right, that'll cut to the end of the TV review for this bit. We're going to come back and discuss a couple of things on the TV for the pay-per-view, and then we'll fill you in on October the 21st. I know that this is awkward for both of us, but I've done everything I can to try to get your attention and to try to explain to you how I feel, and you won't listen. So this is the only thing I could think of to do. I know that saying I'm sorry will never be enough. The things that I thought that I was doing out of anger just proved that I was really a coward. And I don't know if I was desperate to hurt you or just to get your attention. But all I know is is that I'm sitting here in this place where we used to share everything. 
in the swing that you built for me. And I'm alone again. And if there was something I could do to change that, I would. I am truly sorry. And I wish that you could find some way to forgive me for the things that I've done and said to hurt you. I'm the one who has to live with all the things that I've done and the bad choices that I've made and one of the worst choices I've made is signing with Hulk knowing how self-serving he is and that he's using me to hurt you I'm really lost and I need you and I, I don't think I can reach you And I know that I feel the same way about you today as I did the day I said I did. And we come back in not straight away for the pay for you. We're actually going to discuss a couple of things on television before we get into Halloween Havoc. Uh, we start um, with an angle that kind of played out on the October 14th night, and then with a bit more context on October the 21st, involving predominantly Miss Elizabeth. Um, essentially, the idea that Hulk Hogan was trying to get inside Randy Savage's head. So what you will have heard before we just came back from there was a prayer from Miss Elizabeth on the 14th. Now, that was presented to Savage as if it was a Miss Elizabeth-only promo, basically saying she was sorry and that she wanted Savage back. Savage was a bit sad and teary, and he walked off and all of that. And then Savage comes out the following week on television and then Bischoff shows him uh, some backstage stuff from uh, Hulk Hogan on set, on a well, Hollywood set, uh, with Miss Elizabeth. And basically, as it turns out, Hogan's actually telling Elizabeth against her will to try and convince Savage that she's still in love with him. And the show ends with a clip you would have heard right at the start of the show uh, with um, Randy Savage saying that life is fragile, amongst other things. Um, Pete, what do you think of all this? Um, I was a bit confused at the start because we all know the Hogan, Savage, Liz history going way back into the mid-80s or late 80s. And for Savage to actually believe that, that Liz, you know, is with Hogan and is doubting her, for me, seems a bit confusing. And the storyline didn't really play out as much on Nitro as I was hoping it would do. And I have, a, have a, a resolution or are they just teasing it to continue on? And Savage is this confused married man with another man on, on, on television who may be in control of his wife. It just seems a little bit, I don't know. Right. I, didn't quite, I didn't quite get it. I, th- I think if, you, if you've if you sort of spent the last couple of years reading the Wrestling Observer newsletters and having seen sort of some uh, Randy Savage comments from around the 1993 part, you, you might think this is a little bit near the knuckle in terms of blending fiction and uh, reality. But but for me, the oddest sort of thing was it just felt like they were doing the whole WrestleMania 7 style stuff again and you're five years on. Nitro's trying to portray itself as a sort of edgier show and you've got this sort of almost soap opera-esque angle. It just, 
I don't know, it just felt a little bit odd. I was going to say, Craig, by the end of the show, we're going to be replicating WrestleMania 3. So in comparison, this is really, really modern. I was um, going to say WrestleMania 5, the fact, Mega Powers explode at one well, point. Well, uh, that being together. And the war to settle the score as well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, well I, I think the most, well, jump your head, I think the most major thing of the month was Roddy Piper saying the word WrestleMania on WCW TV. But there we are. Um, Wrestling 30 years ago. We are? Yeah, could yeah. do it. Could do it. Um, anyway, um, I, I, you know, it, it's a bit predictable. Let's say that, you know, she's basically been pissing away Savage's money for the last six, seven months. If not a bit longer, in fact, probably a bit longer. Um, and Dave Meltzer wrote in the Wrestling Observer this month that it was quite apropos that um, that storyline is one of the major reasons why WCW's house shows have done quite well throughout 1996 so far, is that that storyline has been the one people have been majorly interested in. When you consider that Hogan's not doing that many house shows, and I don't get the feeling up until about August, neither were Hall and Nash. I may be wrong on that. But I get, I get the feeling they had to kind of get into WCW and storyline before they started filtering, filtering them into shows. Um, and certainly also, even if they were, it would take a little bit of time for that to kick in in terms of ticket sales. So one of the reasons WCW house shows what they are doing have been stronger has been this angle. Um, and I think, you know, it's while it's very predictable that they might end up back together, um, and while the stuff surrounding Savage, as in where is he going, where is he going to end up, as in he might be back on WWS television sooner rather than later. Um, I, I thought that the angle was at very least well done. When you start to pick apart the, the pick apart the story, it feels a bit weak, a little bit weak. Like why is she now really remorseful for Savage, having spent all of his money or half his money or what you want to call it? Um, I don't really know, but Craig, is this, I guess the bigger question is, this was all set up for the pay-per-view. Would, would the ruse have better been revealed in terms of the bit on, on the set of the Hollywood movie? Would that been better revealed on the night after the pay-per-view rather than before it? Yeah, yeah, it, it sort of, yeah, because then you're telling the happy story and then you're breaking a little bit more bad news, if, if that's the sort of way that you're wanting to, to do the storyline, that'd, that'd have made more sense, and it would have it'd have felt a lot less like a early 90s WWF fairy story, and more like a sort of hard-hitting relationship breakdown. can't believe we're talking about relationships on the podcast. Well, there we are. There you're right. Pete, would this, uh, like, uh, who am I supposed to like in this? Because I, I don't know that Savage getting dragged in by the woman who's dragged his name through the dirt for the past year is all that likeable. I think that it's overshadowing the NWO angle as well. So I think t- to like, I mean, Liz is coming across probably as, as almost the semi heel in all this. And Savage is the uh, heroic man who's been, as you say, wronged. Um, but we're not sure of the outcome. And, you know, I think their relationships have always been like this throughout their, you know, wrestling careers that Savage has almost, almost dominated Liz and she's been in the corner as very much as sort of the silent partner, as it were. And now she's sort of, pleading off and crying and you know I'm, you know but she's she seems very weak in that sense but that is probably part of the storyline so i probably i think savage needs just to make a make a decision and then move on doesn't he really well but both in terms of storyline and in terms of where he's going to end up next exactly yeah is, is he going to come back to wwf or is he going to stay and uh refight the nwa or will he you know move forward we will find out we move on next to this angle You got something to say to Sting, big man? 
Stinger, if I may quote my most favorite American poet, Jim Morrison. I think it's time you break on through to the other side. Don't do it. I got a couple of questions. I got a couple of questions for Sting. You've been carrying the WCW banner for nine years and doing a great job. What do you got to show for it? We bring him out a bogus imposter, and nobody knows about that better than us, because we knew it would get to you. WCW tells you to stick it. We want you to know we're taking over, and with you, there's no stopping us. You jump NWO, you're NWO for life. Stinger. He's gone. Come on. They brought the devil out of him. He reached down. That right there is your cheap imitation. You get what you pay for, don't you? The real sting may or may not be in your price range. But the only thing that's for sure about sting is nothing's for sure. What does that mean? He's a free agent. What does it mean? What's he doing? He didn't say... He didn't say yes. He said he may or may not be in the price He did not say... He did not make the move. Well, now they're going to help things. Craig, later in the show, we're going to be debating the kind of the opposition to the NWR, as to an extent we did on last month's show. Um, this is a bit different where Sting's concerned. It might work, but at a time where they've got not many options, this is a hell of a risk. Yeah, I'd agree. You've sort of had the NWO running roughshod over everyone, which on one level makes them look... Uh, very dominant and very strong but on the flip side that you've destroyed most of your talent so it doesn't look like anyone can really face them so it really is a sort of it's sting or no one isn't it Pete? Yeah I completely agree I mean if they're going to play the slow burn on this character that is a real risk because right now as Craig said you know NWO is, is dominating everything and, we, and WCW needs somebody and Sting has been the face of the company for years um, but he's in that no man's land of, well, you know, you can't afford me and I'm going to go and hide away and, and that's that. So it's just kind of, it's, if it's a slow burner, it could win, but it, kind of what is the cost right now to WCW and NW angle? So let's hope the future that they, they, they make that right. But, you know, Sting is probably needed right now by WCW as opposed to waiting, I suppose. Craig, what do you think of the angle on the middle of the 21st? Uh, I, I, I've never really been the, the, the strongest of Sting fans, so anything he's done has never really sort of totally wowed me. So I think I, it's difficult for me to ever have any feelings other than being underwhelmed by something involving Sting. I guess I've just never 
got the hype, or I'm not the most ardent of WCW fan. Pete, I'm quite a big, big Sting fan. So I think, you know, he's always been since I've since I began watching WCW, sort of '90s onwards with what's his, his famous feud with Flair. Um, I think he's definitely been been that character, and I think he's the guy we need to WCW needs to fall back on and and fight back. So. I wonder whether if they'd have known eight weeks ago how this was all going to pan out, whether they'd have done this with Sting. Like, it's it's not necessarily a bad idea, um, but I just wonder now whether, no Bret Hart, and we'll discuss that at the end, whether a Ric Flair being injured, now that they've turned the giant, because they kind of had to turn somebody... I just wonder whether this big plan they might have gone, mm, maybe, maybe not, knowing how all the cards were going to have, uh, how all the cards were going to have fallen. I mean, as it was, I thought the angle was, was, was really quite good. Um, you know, there's, there really is something to be said. And for one, it is quite nice to see that the NWO hasn't just exponentially grown in numbers in the last month, but there is something to be said for, not the outright rejection by Sting, but the tease of him joining the NWO and how much more power he would have if he rejects the overtures of the of, of the NWO uh, and, and how much more power he'd have if he kind of drags them along, which is kind of seems to me like that might be the idea. Um, you know, he didn't outright reject them. He's wearing, you know, effectively white and black face paint, which, you know, in many ways is the inverse of the NWO colours. It's just, we spent three years on this show kind of going, well, when are they really going to go with Sting? And the doors finally opened, and now they've just taken this complete left turn with Sting, one that would probably would have made far more sense about 18 months ago. And obviously there wasn't a an NWO angle to counter at that point. But it's like of all the times to break away from the Sting character that has been consistently very popular for so, so long, this is a hell of a, a hell of a punt, really. Um, whether it'll pay off, we don't know. I mean, the month ends with Sting kind of sitting high up in the, uh, high up in the arena, not really saying anything. I was convinced, or comes this later, but I was convinced that the, the angle at the end of the 28th show with Hogan in the ring on his own, was going to lead to something with Sting because that's the big match they're going towards and it didn't. So I, I guess we'll wait and see. But as we're going to discuss later in the show, with Sting over in this direction and with Ric Flair out of action, all of a sudden there's not really many, very many people to oppose the NWO, but we'll discuss that later on. We start on October the 21st with a recap of the Miz Elizabeth and Macho Man stuff. Zabisco urged you not to do what Ric Flair, not to do a Ric Flair, sorry, and give out credit cards to an ex-wife. Well said. First up, beautiful Bobby Eaton takes on Lionheart Chris Jericho. The two get decent time. Jericho winning with a drop kick from the top. He'll be facing six at Sunday's pay-per-view. We see a Rey Mysterio Jr. video package where Dean Malenko goes surprisingly long with Graffiti. That's the former Jimmy Del Rey. The Man of a Thousand Holds wins with a Cloverleaf. Dallas Page beats Craig Pitt with a diamond cutter outside Teddy Long, costing his man by distracting Nick Patrick. Jeff Jarrett sets up to face Big Ron Studd, who's basically the Giants' pre-match jobber, but out comes Nature Boy to have a strut off. 
after Flair seemingly endorses Jarrett, Stud goes down to the figure four and Jarrett goes on to face Giant on Sunday. Post-match, Jeff is used a rallying cry to the locker room. Flair backs him up. Hour two kicks off with Eric Bischoff, Mike Tanay and Bobby Heenan wondering if Savage will arrive as scheduled. One of 1996's strangest characters then arrives in Roadblock. Imagine a cross between Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Tugboat with an actual traffic blocker over his shoulders. Yes, that is actually what he looks like. Thankfully, we hear from Arn Anderson during the Roadblock Luger match. Somehow, the package manages to win with the torture rack. Harlem Heat get a pretty routine win over the American males. The outside looking on from the balcony and the face of fears being in the Fantastics next. Jail takes on the NWO Sting, the entire gang coming down through the crowd. Midway through the match, the real Sting shows up with a black face per- black black trench coat and white and black face paint. After taking out his doppelganger, the NWO come into politic after Sting. Nash quotes Jim Morrison. Hall tells him they know all about cheap replicas. The only thing for sure about Sting is that there's nothing for sure about Sting. And he just walks off. Chris Benoit arrives for his main event with Randy Savage. Macho comes out but dressed entirely in black. Bischoff shows him an NWO video from Hogan on the set of Three Ninjas. Hogan in an obscene blonde wig threatens Elizabeth into playing mind games with Savage. Hulk says he doesn't believe her. Meanwhile we're all struggling to believe Hulk's hairline. After the match Macho is again left speechless until he talks about how friendships, business and marriage can be fragile. He then tells Hogan, life can be fragile and we come back in for Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc Pete you can kick us off with the results yep Dean Malenko pinned Rey Mysterio Jr to capture the Cruiserweight title Diamond Dallas Page defeated Eddie Guerrero in the Battle of the Ring the Giant defeated Jeff Jarrett via disqualification with the US title still held up at that point Six pinned Chris Jericho Lex Luger pinned Arn Anderson. Steve McMichael and Chris Benoit beat Meng and Barbarian. And Hall and Nash won the WCW World Tag Team titles from Harlem Heat. And Hulk Hogan pinned Randy Savage to retain the WCW World title. It's just to quickly clarify the US title situation. Giants basically Nick Flair's belt. Yeah. He's walking around with it. That's basically where we're at. He's kind of got it, hasn't he? Flair's formerly still champion. Craig, what do you think of this show? For me, I thought Halloween Havoc was the sort of flip of WWF mind games. Uh, On that show, you had a pretty poor undercard uh, with a solid main event. Whereas on Halloween Havoc, you've got a, a very good under... Well, a largely good undercard, although some issues... And a pretty hopeless main event. It's uh, it's quite a, a quite an interesting flip. I think the the sort of big thing that stood out for me is that you know, I appreciate that with NWO you, they they need to win their matches, but it just felt like the heels won all night, and it just I don't know it just sort of jarred a little. You sort I don't know maybe you need to throw the baby faces the odd bone, but Pete. Yeah, I'd agree with Craig. I think there was no sort of good news in that sense coming out of the show. There was, I think you're right, the undercard was an, an improvement um, on previous shows, but the main event really was a a bit of a uh, a waste of time in terms of the match itself, and the, the ending was fairly obvious, I suppose, to what was going to happen. And the NWO obviously announcing the matches, uh, Ted DiBiase in the crowd, and the finishes to their wins weren't particularly that clean either. So it didn't put them over as, as dominant like that. But 
win at all costs, and it was definitely a heels night. Yeah, running down this card, the only guy you can really look at and go, yeah, he's probably a babyface is Lex Luger, and even he won thanks to a chair, amongst other yeah. things. Um, you know, the Lex Luger, the babyface, putting his opponent in hospital, you know, that. Um, this was as strong an opening two hours as you're ever likely to see from an in-ring perspective. Um, there really wasn't a bad match on this undercard at all. Um, a lot of the matches didn't really mean a lot, and that's kind of an ongoing problem. But I've seen this pay-per-view two or three years ago, and it was a lot worse than this. Is it? I've seen matches similarly as irrelevant be far, far worse. So there is that. But the semi-main, the tag match, was quite good, but very predictable with a shit ending. And then the main event is right up there with the worst main event matches I've ever seen. And you look at a time where Hulk Hogan's just signed a big new contract and Randy Savage is in the process of signing a big new contract. And Bret Hart, a guy 39 years old, has been such a big bidding war that's made him, from a financial perspective, much more valuable than he's ever been. Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan are in very similar situations to Bret. And yet, unlike Bret, Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan just seem like they've lost it. You know, there was there was enough going on with that match that was just bad. But the times where it wasn't meant to be bad, it was terrible. As in, they were incredibly sloppy. And it just didn't work. And it just didn't... You know, this match has been built for a year. Well, technically, this match has been building for about two years when you consider that they built this match, they teased this match from the first day Randy Savage rocked up on WCW Saturday night in, I think, December of 1994. That's been the match building for two years. They locked this match in for this show at this venue 10 months ago, back in January, when they were in uh, in Las Vegas for the clash. They said, right, we'll book the MGM and we'll do Savage against Hogan. Now, that obviously came as a with the idea that Hogan was going to be a babyface and who knows what Savage would have been at the time. Obviously, all that's changed since, but it was dreadful. Um, and yeah, one of those things where you get to the end, that's the only thing you remember. Anyway, we'll, we'll save more analysis on that when we get there. We open up Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc with Tony Schiavone, Dusty Rhodes, and Bobby Hayden on the court. We start with Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio Jr. for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. The Halloween Havoc set, as always, looks really nice. The Slim Jim branding on the turnbuckles are a bit garish, funnily enough. Slim Jim colours being the old Hulk Hogan colours, with the uh, yellow and the red. Malenko starts to the bell, hitting a back suplex and a slam. He sets for an early Texas Cloverleaf, but Mysterio rolls out of it. Mysterio goes for a second rope moonsault, but Malenko catches him. Malenko runs into a drop-toe hold. Mysterio gets up and it's a lovely head scissors. I sense the crowd could be a hot one tonight. Mysterio gets a look at the mask he took off of uh, Malenko. Mysterio gets a look at the mask Malenko took off of him. Ray Mysterio catches him off the turnbuckle, then hits somersault sent on. Mysterio gets the mask off Malenko and swaps it with the one he had on already, so he's now wearing a different one. Mysterio counts a head scissors into a near fall. He goes again, but Malenko cuts it off into a side suplex. Malenko hits a reverse release suplex on Mysterio, sending him vertically downwards into the ropes. Mysterio ends up selling a knee injury but did quite well not to land on his head Malenko locks in a painful looking bow and arrow they come off the top and Malenko hitting a belly to back then a vertical suplex Mysterio nearly gets it with a cradle Malenko goes for a long sleeper Mysterio rallies Malenko hits a lovely whippy gut wrench suplex 
The pair both climb to the top before getting knocked off onto the floor. Malenko goes for a tilt and whirls something, but gets flattened by Mysterio. Mysterio hits a rolling senton from the apron, then rolls a cradle through for a two. We get a nice, if hideously choreographed sequence, which ends in a near fall. Heenan says there were 806 moves in that sequence. Mysterio hits a corkscrew moonsault from the second rope. Back in the ring, he hits a lovely snap Frankensteiner, but only gets a two. Mysterio hits a springboard something, but Malenko catches him into a lovely sit-out powerbomb for a real nice near fall that the crowd bought. Mysterio goes for a run off the top. Malenko counters it and hits the gut wrench suplex off the second rope that looked horrendous on his knees. Still, he comes Mysterio for the three, and Malenko wins the cruiserweight title. Pete? I thought this was a great way to start the pay-per-view. Yeah, it really had a bit of thing in there. You had, you had your high-flying top rope, you had proper wrestling, some rest holds. It, it, the crowd, as you say, were really into it. It, it, it peaked. It, it, it went down again a little bit. The crowd came back into it with like, the sleeper holds and then back into it again. Um, there were some weird comments on commentary from Dusty Rhodes and Mike Tenay regarding Mysterio maybe being tired and Tenay saying that he's, uh, Mysterio has won the heavyweight championship recently. I presume that was in Mexico, but it almost kind of led you to believe that Mysterio was going to lose the title halfway through. And that finishing manoeuvre, I think that, that, that looked pretty nasty, almost. Is it called like a doctor bomb, I believe? Is that correct? Sounds about right. Yeah, it it looked like he almost slipped as he was doing it. And it was a great, great, great way of ending the match. But I felt Mysterio was going to win before that with the near falls that were coming in. But good to see Malenko pick up the pin. Craig? Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, sort of hallmark of WCW that you've got really good cruiserweight matches getting about 15 to 20 minutes early on in shows. Uh, this was, this was really excellent. I sort of share everyone else's thoughts on the, on the finisher. I remember wincing when, uh, when I saw him, uh, when I saw it happen. But yeah, no, this, this was excellent. The, the crowd were fantastic as well, which helped. But, uh, I think the, the, Malenko and uh, Ray deserve a lot of credit for taking their crowd on the journey they did. Yeah, um, th- th- there's still stuff to be done character-wise, and they, they, they don't seem to be willing to do that, but it is kind of getting to the point now where they just keep doing this match over and over again to the point where I think people are beginning to buy into the rivalry. Um, and both these guys are good enough where you could put them on consecutive, you know, twice, three times, four times in a row opening up a pay-per-view. And they could have different enough matches and provide the crowd are hot enough. And generally they are, given that's the opener. They'll respond to a lot of cool stuff they've never seen before. Uh, it's it's still early days for the Cruiserweight title. But if it's going to keep getting over, if they're going to have matches of this quality, you suspect the title, the division of the belt's going to get over, we would think. Um but we shall see. I really like the match. Again, lacking a bit of context, but I think there's there's more further down the line that they're going to do that. But a really nice opening match. And Malenko and Mysterio, I don't think, are capable of having a bad match. Um, as, as I say, this pay-per-view two or three years ago opens up with, God knows what, Kevin Sullivan and Road Warrior Hawk, probably. Something like that. Um, so th- th- this this is a much bigger improvement on what I imagine WCW of 1994 would have put forward. Anyway, Lee Marshall is backstage with Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett says nothing of note other than forget everything else he's got. Uh, other than forget everything else, he's got it in the middle of the ring. Flair is on hand in a suit. Seems like they're hoping Flair is going to rub off on Jarrett. Flair even wishes Savage good luck in his battle against the NWO. 
Who are next? Darwin Nance Page versus Eddie Guerrero. Page gobs some gum at Eddie, who wants a fast start, but Nick Patrick is on hand to stop him. Page rams Guerrero hard into the guardrail. Guerrero pumps Page in the bollocks, but doesn't seem to get a reprimand from Patrick. We exchange submissions. Guerrero hits a drag and then a drop quick. We drop to the outside and Page gets slammed into the guardrail. Page then crotches Guerrero on the top rope. Page then whips Guerrero into the guardrail. Guerrero comes off the ropes and Page just lobs him in the air. Chivoni calls that a nosedive. Page hits a nice neck baker. Page goes after Patrick who shoves him. Guerrero nearly gets a near fall. After banging off, Page shakes Patrick's hand. Guerrero goes for a roll-up but doesn't get it. Then another which gets countered. Countered again and again for a two. Guerrero ducks a shot from Page which hits a lovely lariat for a two. Guerrero goes for a 10 punch, then goes to the top and hits a crossbody bot onto Page onto the floor. I think that was the point. Reports were coming out of this match that Guerrero broke his ribs during this match. I think it was that spot where it happened. Might have been a little bit earlier. Page hits a lovely flapjack. This match is really flattened out, I've got in my notes. And that well, uh, Guerrero's broken ribs was probably a contributory factor. Page hits a lovely spinning powerbomb for a two. And then hits a diamond cutter, which Guerrero kind of has to protect himself on. And picks up the three. Pete. Yeah, again, I thought this was another another good match and another good example of how far Dumb Dallas Page has come. I think in uh, in recent months, um, I have to say, I thought his selling of uh, Nick Patrick uh, looked, made him look very very weak in terms of you know grovelling in the corner while uh, a man with a neck brace on is going after him. Um, and I think the chain wrestling, I think as you say, may have contributed to being quite poor at one point because of the injury to Eddie, because it didn't look very. Um, very slick and very smooth at all, but that could have been down to that. Uh, one quick note regarding the flapjack, and Dusty Rose has never heard of one. I'm sure he's eaten a few, but he's never heard of, of a flapjack in the ring. And I think the power bomb looked absolutely fantastic against probably, so far, the lamest diamond cutter we've seen to pin and to win the match. So, again, I think it's probably down to the injury. They may have called it off early, but, again, I think it built from the first match. I think it was a good second match as well, so they've definitely kept the momentum going. Just spotted a quick bit in my notes post-match that I didn't read out. Patrick reaches down to the corner to give Paige his uh, battle uh, battle bowl ring, whatever it's called. Uh, but they suspect Patrick had it in his pocket all along. We see it again. You have to actually watch it two or three times, but it is a slight of hand. And Patrick does take it out of his pocket. I don't know quite what that was meant to contribute for, but anyway. Uh, Craig, what do you think? Uh, well, undoubtedly, Diamond Dallas Page has improved in the ring. I think a lot of credit for the strength of this match has to go to Eddie Guerrero the match is uh, match is very good uh, for me though this did seem like uh, one that the face could have won and it really wouldn't have altered much in the grand scheme of things but uh, yeah no, I, I, as has uh, already been said a very solid second match on the show yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think it. I, I think it flattened out a little. As I say, if Guerrero broke his ribs, then I guess all, all bets are off at that point. Um, but it was just a match that kind of seemed to do a lot of the really good action in the first third, first half, and then they tried to calm it down. And maybe at the point they were trying to pick it up, they kind of had to to cut it off a bit. Uh, but it's just about well, we see better page in Guerrero matches. Is kind of what I'm getting at. Um, but it was fine. The Agwinnick Patrick is what it is. I think it's it, it's going to be much more prevalent um, at other points during the show. But um, yeah, it just about works. Uh, I, I, another good match, I think, is is the long story short. Uh, Rally Tarris joins Mike Tanay to help draw a winner for the Road Legal Monster Truck. 
Sarri snaps a giant cardboard Slim Jim in half and eventually draws the winner. You can visit WCWWrestling.com to listen to the pay-per-view as it happens because that's exactly what you'd want to do would be to listen to <laughs> listen to Dusty and Bobby bicker for three hours without oh, being able to watch. God, anyway, yeah. we were joined Mike today with Dean Malenko. Malenko cuts a generic promo telling people to get in line and he'll take on all comers. We then cut to the stands for an NWO interview with Ted DiBiase interviewing the Giant. Giant does some stick it references, then says, everyone's going to end up in the glue factory. Okay. Uh, next up, it's the Giant versus Jeff Jarrett with Ric Flair. Giant is now carrying Flair's heavyweight, US heavyweight title. Patrick holds up the title. Jarrett gets a punch in and then does the strut. Jarrett, Jarrett dodges some shots and then struts again. Flair is dancing in the R-way. Giant picks up Jarrett for an atomic drop before just flinging him across the ring. Jarrett jumps on Giant's back with a sleeper. Giant staggers back into the turnbuckle, but Jarrett jumps from the second rope and gets back on him. Giant fades. Giant hits a big boot, goes to the cover, but Jarrett kicks out. Flair starts creeping into the ring with a chair, but then retreats. Giant then hits a low blow on Jarrett. Flair grabs a mic and tells uh, Jarrett to kick his NWO ass. Giant hits a pair of soft backbreakers, we then get a long bear hug. Jarrett escapes, it's a quite nice drop kick. He then goes for a body slam, which just collapses. Jarrett comes off the top for a near fall. He then goes for a figure four, but Jarrett just kicks him on the floor, to the floor, sorry. Jarrett steps up Jarrett by the ring post and then goes for a shot, but Jarrett moves. Jarrett goes for the figure four on the floor, but Jarrett, as he did to win the title for a second time, reaches across and goes for a choke. They stand up, Flair runs up behind him, hits a low blow, and that will end that. For once, and in a really quite nice touch, the four horsemen storm out following the conclusion of the match to prevent an NWO attack. Craig, what do you think of this? Uh, I thought this was a pretty good match as well. It made uh, Jeff Jarrett look uh, look pretty strong. Uh, it's an odd finish, though. I mean, we talked earlier on about uh, how if WCW need a new babyface as Jeff Jarrett, the guy, and I don't know if maybe if that was... The, the destination they were going that they couldn't have had them win this but uh, maybe I'm just sort of too critical on the finishes here but yeah no uh, considering uh, Bob you and I have done the journey through WWF in the last couple of years we've certainly seen some of the worst of Jeff Jarrett but this has got a rank as one of the, the sort of better outings for him I thought yeah, I mean, you know, when you consider really that his only real major match of no, well, there's been a couple actually, but the only memorable match of note was the match with Shawn Michaels last year. Yeah. Um, you would have said that Jarrett and Giant would have been a disaster, but Pete, it wasn't. I think he held Giant very well. He carried him quite well throughout the match. I think the DQ finish kept Jarrett fairly strong. It didn't make him look as you say, as this new sort of baby face role that he has taking over from Flair, I think maybe if he had been pinned the giant, that would have made him look, you know, a real threat to the NWO, but at least it kind of protected Jarrett. And I think it was a decent match overall. Yeah. Um... I think you made a great point about the horseman at the end as well. It was great to see that all of them flooding out for a change and backing up their man up against the NWO potentially. That was a really nice touch. I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, I suspect that was more just a, a logic hole because they didn't want the NWO to run out. But we are at the stage now where that kind of does need to happen, and that will play into stuff that goes on later in the show too. Um, but I really like this match. Um, you know, the Jarrett's a bit 
you know, there, like, we're, we're going to discuss him more later in the show, and as, as we kind of discussed last year, like, Jarrett's just a guy, really. Um, but, like, this wouldn't have been a match I would have gone, this'll work. Um, but it just about did. Jarrett was just about able to kind of bounce off of Giant and, like, basically run around him almost. One criticism I've had of Giant matches before is that the very kind of bits and pieces, this didn't really feel like that. Um, and it just about what I sort of finished Craig, I, I think it was just very simply that they just wanted to protect both guys. Wouldn't that be fair? Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, that's probably a, a reasonable judgment. I guess they don't think that they're in quite the desperate need of a, a baby face as, uh, as we do. Maybe that's it as well. Oh, what you mean, Jarrett going over giant? Yeah, yeah, I because mean, we sort of were discussing earlier on just the, the lack of depth, and I guess they, they could have used this show to sort of push someone to the to the to moon to strap a rocket on someone's back, but maybe they actually don't think that they need it. But yeah, I, I do totally also agree with the assessment that it could be in uh, no small part to try to protect both guys. Go on, Pete. Yeah, you would have also thought that having just signed from WWF, WWE may have wanted to use Jarrett as a as a, a yardstick to be like, well, you know, you've used him that way, and now you're going to... I think they're criticising right now for being this fake singer, as it were, and now we've got him up against the Giant, you know, in, in, in one of the main matches in our pay-per-view, so would have been an idea maybe for him to go over to really strengthen that angle, or that point of view, but um, obviously didn't quite go with that at this point, but I think you're right, protecting both these guys probably was the way they were looking at it at that point. And speaking of Jeff Jarrett, we will be... Uh, discussing, not really referencing the latest stage of his storyline over on the WWF show in Volume 2 as uh, the uh, the roadie returns to uh, the WWF uh, as Jesse James, which is his actual name, uh, I think. No, it's not. Sorry. Uh, but it's just it, that's the name they've gone for with him anyway. The real Double J. So there's that. That's that's on that side anyway. Uh, but Jarrett, you, you you will see if you watch for all this month, you will see Jarrett being pinned by Shawn Michaels from last year. So that happens. Um, but anyway, that's where we are. Quite like the match. We'll discuss Jarrett more towards later on in the show. Uh, we joined Ted DiBiase with another interview. He calls it a mark in the wing column. He and Six both call him a fine athlete, but he will be crucified for the sins. That's Jericho. They're calling a fine athlete, by the way. Uh, next up, it's Six versus Chris Jericho. We start with a high-paced choreographed exchange. We see Conan and Kevin Sullivan. Oh, and Big Bubba watching from inside. Kevin Sullivan actually looks quite normal in a suit jacket. Jericho hits a hell of a knife-edge chop, then a nice running clothesline into the opposite corner. He climbs to the top, but Six drop kicks into the floor. Six hits a series of hard kicks to Jericho's head. He then drops an elbow from the second rope to the apron. Jericho comes off the top with a crossbody to the floor before sending Six hammering into the guardrail right in front of the Dungeon of Doom. Six comes off the top but only gets met with a drop kick from Jericho. Jericho bridges a pin but Nick Patrick pins are taking ages. Another pin, another slow count which gets a lot of boos. Six hits a spin kick but Patrick is down for the three very quickly this time and Six wins. The segment ends quite preposterously with Patrick helping Six to the back. Or is it kind of looks like six helping Patrick to the back? Pete? Again, another, another, a decent match. I think, unfortunately, Nick Patrick has overshadowed the whole of it with obviously his antics with the slow counts and then the fast counts in it. I mean, I'm, I'm quite a big fan of Chris Jericho, obviously from, from ECW transitioning through to WCW. Um, and six as well, I think, 
has has definitely got a a career here, probably in the cruiserweight division alongside Jericho. But it's just a real shame for me that Nick Patrick seemed to be the the person who made the most impact in this match. Cry. I thought Jericho was very good. I thought, in fact, I thought I thought both were were good. Uh, Jericho was very good. I didn't think that Six looks like he cares that much. Certainly not in comparison to the sort of uh, how he performed as a one, two, three kid. But maybe that's just me. But uh, my main criticism of of this has to just be the sort of ref overshadowing it. Yeah, um, you know, this is one of those matches where I don't think the goal was for the two guys in the ring to have as good a match as they did. Um, the goal was to get Nick Patrick over for what we're going to see later on in the show. So in that sense, we, we can't be her massively high, you know, I won't go too overboard on, on positively or negative on the match. The match was good. You know, Jericho's a bit flat at the moment. That'll need some time. Six is a bit flat. That's the first wrestling match I've seen of his, uh, February, I think. Maybe, maybe you surfed it a bit later on, but it's been a while. Um, and I, I think they've, you know, we talk about Jarrett coming in from the WWF. Six is another guy, the one, two, three kid. He was kind of a bit up and down. Didn't do a lot in that run. Um, but this match, it, it, it threatened to be good. I think look, both these guys can work. I think we know that. Um, it just wasn't really a match with a lot of context or a lot of build. Um, but yeah, you kind of wonder whether give these two a bit more time. Um, in a match where your number one goal isn't to get over a referee storyline, and we might end up in a slightly better position. But as as I kind of got to, Pete, I, would it be fair to say at this stage, matches, four good matches, even if they weren't that much consequence? No, I'd agree, definitely. I think the opening four have definitely held held everyone's attention. I think the crowd, as you mentioned at the very beginning, looked like they're going to be a decent crowd. They, they stayed with it. So I think it's been a very, very positive start. I agree, yeah. Mike Tanay is uh, backstage with Lex Luger. The interview is worth it alone just for Luger's hair. Halloween indeed. <laughs> Arn Anderson versus Lex Luger is up next. Scarier still, he's on sleeveless denim jacket, but they seem to be in the fashion at the moment. You can you can buy a uh, you can buy a denim shirt for thirty nine ninety five. WCW Nitro denim uh, shirt. I think it's a, a long sleeve one. But uh, and in WWF you can buy a denim jacket for forty nine ninety five with uh, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, and the Undertaker. Well, there we are. Anyway, Arn starts out hard. Luger flexes up as Arn turns his back, and it's a lovely gorilla press slam. Luger drives Arn into the now padded ring post. They must have Taskmaster mic'd up, as we can hear him say, Rackham Luger from the front row. Arn cuts off Luger with an elbow, but Luger manages to put him in a reverse tree of woe. Arn hits a typically lovely spine buster. Luger rams Arn into the guardrail. Arn drives his knee into the back of Luger three times. This has been a very physical match. Arn works an abdominal stretch in the corner, using the ropes when the ref isn't looking. Luger goes for a clothesline. Arn ducks and Luger almost charges into the ref. Arn then runs into Luger, who flattens the ref. Arn swings a chair, but Luger ducks and it cracks into the ring post. Luger hits a catapult into the post. Luger picks up the chair and drops it over Arn's back once, twice, and then three times. Back in the ring, Luger signals for the torture rack. He gets him up, Arn submits, and it's all over. Luger walks off. We see Jarrett and Flair coming out to tend to Anderson. We get uh, we get to Arn being stretched out of here, and that will do that. Craig, what did you think of this match? Oh, uh, it was uh, pretty much sort of punching kicks for 15 minutes, wasn't it? Uh, 
they, they got the crowd though. I mean, the crowd seemed to really like it. Uh, I guess maybe it just worked better live. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think the yeah this wasn't this was certainly the weakest so far. Although I don't think that's a record that's going to hold for long. Pete, yeah, I'd agree. I think it's definitely the first match where you probably have a bit of a, a bit of a downturn in in fortunes. But it's classic Arn Anderson next Luger match. I think it was quite hard hitting. But you're right. I think there was definitely some 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 good action in there. But I don't know. It just didn't seem to. To, to keep it going and I think the chair shots at the end I know they were probably a bit of a, a revenge for, for Luger after the previous uh, angle there was on a, on the Nitro and I think it was good that Anderson sold uh, the uh, the rack at the end and got stretched out I think that was quite a nice touch to see some some good selling of, of the chair shots and, and the finisher but definitely the first sort of downward step on the card I really like this um yeah, apparently contradictory to you two. Um, you know, it's it's the kind of physical style of wrestling that I quite like. Um, but it just beat the piss out of each other for about eight or nine minutes. Um, it, it fit the yeah. We we talk about you know trying to get Mysterio Malenko over as a feud, and they're doing all these quite choreographed routines and cradles and stuff. It's like this looks like a fight. This looked like they were just bruising each other. And yeah, again, it's a style I, I, I'm probably more akin to than the, the, than the collective people listening to this show. But it's like, yeah, they just beat fuck out of each other for about 10 minutes. Um, the, the bit with the chair works at the end. Very, very physical. The right guy won because we're going to talk about guys that need to oppose the NWO. Lex Luger is very much read right now. Funny enough, Al Anderson is to a point as well. Um, but Luger needed a, a convincing victory, and chair or not, and I, I think once, once the chair gets introduced into a feud, it becomes fair game. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, the match I thought was really quite good. Um, uh, and yeah, we, we, we keep ticking along, and I'd say this is five for five. Lee Marshall invites us to call the WCW hotline to find out the latest on Sting. He's joined by Parker, Sherry and the tag champs, The Heat. In Booker T's NFL team, he's running back. Ray is no guard, nose guard and Sherry is quarterback. God, Sherry barking out instructions in front of an offensive line. Heaven forbid. We want next to the face of fear. Meg and the Barbarian with Jimmy Hart versus Steve McMichael and Chris Benoit with Deborah Michael and Woman. We start with McMichael and Meng basically having a standoff. McMichael levels Meng down with a three-point stance shoulder tackle. We get an even exchange between Benoit and Barbarian. Meng sets in a sumo position. McMichael follows. Meng wins this battle and hits a hip toss. McMichael does the same defensive line rolls for taking out Meng by the hip. Meng is not an easy word when you've got, word to say when you've got a blocked nose. Lovely double team move in the face of fear. Meng flips Benoit over his shoulder, who gets caught, then slammed by Barbarian. We go to the top. Meng hits a huge release, <laughs> belly to belly suplex. Benoit flew miles across the ring. He ended up about three metres from the opposing turnbuckle. That's fantastic. Meng, Meng and Barb go to opposite corners and hit a double headbutt. Only Mongo can break up the pin. Benoit gets set up in a suplex. Meng comes off the top with a big splash. Match then falls apart as the ref randomly gets distracted by Barbarian. In the confusion, Mongo runs right the way around the ring, hits Meng with his cakes. Benoit hits a massive diving headbutt for the win. 
After the match, Mongo takes a pile driver, Kana and Bubba come to the ring, and it's five on two attack. At the start of the match, they said that Flair had gone with Arn to the hospital, so there's nobody to come out and help uh, the horseman. Well, that is, unless the horseman have got no other friends, of course. Benoit finally fights off the attack, but the numbers game catches up with him. Sullivan then gets near woman, his actual wife, of course, they mentioned that on screen. He says, let me show you why I'm still the man before taking off his shirt and kicking Benoit. The same ends with Benoit and Mongo spark out in the ring. Pete? I actually really enjoyed this match. Probably, I think you two may well be the other way around, I'm not sure, but I actually think um, the Faces of Fear look like absolute beasts, and I think uh, up against Steve McMichael, I think they definitely held their own. Chris Benoit looked a little bit out of place against all these big men, but I think, again, he performed admirably doing, uh, and the flying head bar off the top, as ever, looks damn painful, but a, a great finishing move. And that superplex off the top was unbelievable. I couldn't actually believe how well he nailed that and how well Benoit took it, but I actually really enjoyed it. I think the finish was was as expected, and I think the beatdown, for me, coming into this, obviously... I'm obviously new to, to this, this show itself, having watched it a lot of it previously. It seems like the wrong people are fighting the wrong people, like the horsemen and the faces of fear having this feud still ongoing while you've got another faction taking over the whole show. It seems a bit like, why don't they all kind of get together a little bit? But I guess there's still feuds in and amongst it all to, to, to flesh out on, on TV. But overall, I think it's another good match. I think six matches in, I'm still fairly happy. Yeah, I think that's kind of part of the point. It's kind of part of the, the, the promo from Jarrett that I think we're going to hear after the TV review, where Jarrett kind of says there's all this infighting, we've got a much bigger foe that we need to focus on. I think that's part of it. I think also just logistically, you know, they, they didn't want to switch straight away to NWO versus Team WCW type matches, although there were four on this card. Um, but there are existing beasts that are still ongoing. Craig, what do you think? Hey, I- I really like the Faces of Fear. I think they're they're pretty good fun to watch. I've always been a, a fan of uh, the Barbarian. I think his sort of moves just look very stiff and severe. Uh, and I, th- I think Meng's pretty good as well. So, yeah, no, I, I, I like that tandem. I think there's something about Benoit. I'm unconvinced about uh, Steve McMichael, but that's a match with three people out of four that I quite like. So, yeah, no, I thought I thought this was uh, this was fine. It's... Uh, for me, the last couple of matches were a wee bit uh, I was less positive about, but this one started an uphill trajectory. The belly-to-belly suplex is one of the best moves I've seen in three years doing this show. That was mental. And while it was mild, Dave Meltzer said that if he'd have gone any further, he'd have ended up in California. It was that kind of throw. That's fantastic. Um, Pete, you underestimated this. I really like this match. Um, let's Let's talk about a match where there's a lot of scope for things not being very good, and let's give credit where it's due. They laid this match out pretty much perfectly. They got Mongo in there early. They did the set pieces with Meng, which were quite cool, and then Mongo got out. Benoit got in, and Benoit took a bulk of the offense with Mongo on the outside. Benoit kind of face playing the baby face in peril, although this wasn't. This was really kind of heel versus heel match, kind of. Uh, we got the face of fear who, despite being almost nothing for what feels like the better part of a year, if not more, 
are actually really good, and Meng has always been really good, which has kind of made his booking and his inclusion in the Dungeon of Doom a bit more perplexing, given that Meng is this asking. We want to talk about guys that can oppose the NWO. Obviously, Meng can't carry you on the mic, but, you know, I'm, I'm making the pitch I made two years ago when I said it should have been Meng and Hulk Hogan at Starcade. Like, just, he, have him beat the fuck out of people. It will get over. I'm convinced of it. Um, and, that the 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 angle really worked. The match really worked. The angle afterwards was pretty good. You know, it's it's one of those things. The attention to detail, having Anderson stretched it out in the previous match, saying on commentary at the beginning of this match that Flair has gone to hospital with Arn, so there's nobody to come out and back up the Horseman. That made a lot of sense. I make a point about you know the Horseman having no friends. To, to an extent, it makes sense, um, and also it really fit the the story they were trying to tell. Um, I could still do that at the Dungeon of Doom. Craig, Craig, thoughts on the post-match stuff and the kind of storyline development in this match? Uh, I'm, I'm unsure. Uh, I'm unsure about that, but it's, it's always been a bit, bit stupid, the Dungeon of Doom, uh, frankly. Uh, so as much as I like the men and the Barbarian, I do think the rest of it's a bit naff and a bit rubbish, but I mean, at the very least, at least there's some sort of storyline development here because we've criticised some of the earlier matches for being good but having nothing in a way of depth. But at least there's something here, I suppose. Pete, anything more on the on the storyline side of things? I think this is where it leads to next. Obviously, Anderson's been stretched out because Luger's decimated him. Flair's out with a shoulder injury. Where does this leave Ben Warmer Michael up against the Dungeon of Doom and potentially Jeff Jarrett? I see anything from me, I suppose. Yeah, could do. Um, that could be like a, a, a trios type tag match, maybe something like that. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm not keen on the Dungeon of Doom, but I suppose to an extent, the Dungeon of Doom now, they, they got rid of the Leprechaun. Here's a funny story. The Leprechaun's gone because they received some complaints about how the Leprechaun was being portrayed. So they rebranded him. For that's worth. Nice little uh, side note there. But Dungeon of Doom now, if it's just Sullivan, Bubba, Conan on the Faces of Fear, it's actually quite a good unit. Like Sullivan, I could take or leave, but the other four are all quite good. Now it's, I, it's I, a bit, it's a bit more serious, isn't it? They're not so much a gimmicky. They're more serious characters, aren't they? Which would be yeah, better. I, I, I kind of feel that Conan's had better gimmicks. I kind of feel that Bubba's had better gimmicks, and I probably suspect that Menga's had better gimmicks. So there is that working against them, and Kevin Sullivan probably has too. Um, but. They're all quite good workers, Sullivan aside, and Sullivan I don't think is going to do much in ring work. It should just about work. But yeah, you're right, the the horseman group with like Flair as the ambassador, Arn on the sidelines, and then Jarrett, Mongo, and Benoit. We'll see, we will see. Anyway, we're back with DBRC in the stands, who says the NWO are 2-0 up. He says Harlem Heat are next on the hit list. And next up, it's the outsiders, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash versus Harlem Heat. Book a team with Stevie Ray with Sister Sherry and Colonel Robert Parker. One WCW tag team titles. NWO are clearly popular with a large portion of the fan base. Nash and Hall grab hold of the title belts and put them on. The match hasn't even started yet and attention has been drawn towards the near left-hand corner of the building. That seems to just be a disturbance, uh, but it's odd seeing Booker T and Scott Hall getting the action underway and nobody's really looking at them. That wasn't an NWO angle, that was just something happening in the crowd. Booker goes for a leapfrog, Hall stops and just leathers him with the right hand. A double hip-toss reversal before Booker T just hip-tosses him over the top with the rest distracted Ray flattens Hall with the clothesline. 
Hall gobs on Stevie Ray. Nash comes in, and I think if you listen closely enough, you can hear some diesel chants. Nash attacks in the corner, but Ray gets back on top and beats him down. The heel versus heel dynamic actually works really well in this match. Uh, Then we get a lovely scissors kick. Ray fights off a bulldog, hits a lariat before tagging in Booker. Nash gets a shot in on Booker on the apron. Ray hits a clothesline for a nice near fall. Nash hits a big boot, probably the best big boot I've ever seen him hit, which is actually saying that much. Booker goes for a crossbody on Hall and just catches him and slams him. Sherry gets on the apron. Hall actually channels a bit of gold dust by kind of rubbing his hands up his chest and then kind of blowing at her. Sherry slaps him, so Hall ends up slogging her. After all that, Booker hits a spin kick and both men are down. Okay, that's definitely raised a chance we can hear. We get a sleeper, but Hall is able to crotch Booker on the ropes. Dusty says, I tell you what, you're nuts if you don't think that hurts. Thanks, Dusty. Ray gets a 2-1 against the Outsiders. Ray picks up Hall and throws him to Nash. We get a Harlem hangover. Inexplicably, the referee walks right past the pin attempt to tend to Booker's uh, injury. Parker gets in the ring. Nash grabs the cane off of him and drops it across Ray's back. Quite hard. Hall pins Ray, whilst otherwise spark out cold, and the Outsiders win the titles. Uh, that's the next part of the segment. Uh, Pete, what do you think of this? I think there's never any doubt that the Outsiders are going to win the tag team titles from the beginning. You know, seeing as they were the... You know, the, the big, the bigger time heels in Harlem Heat. I thought it was a good match. I think if you look at it, you know, all four of them are huge guys, you know, plus six foot built like, you know, really, really well. And I think that it looked a spectacle from the beginning. As you say, the, the start of the match with the crowd disturbance was, was quite funny to see everybody looking to the left rather than looking at the action. Um, I think it was a decent match. I think, um, I don't think Hall and Nash is a tag team for me personally works that well I'd rather see them in singles matches but I guess as the outsiders this is what they're going to be doing for for, for the beginning of their uh, their start here um, the finish again why couldn't it have been a clean win and the way Parker gave the cane over and then ran away I didn't quite understand all that um, but obviously the, the cane shot looked quite good as well for the pin so I think the, the win was to be expected Craig I, I certainly think that this match exceeded expectations. Uh, going in, I didn't have uh, high hopes. I think uh, I think the thing that was most uh, surprising, because the result certainly wasn't, the fact that the fans really popped for the result. So it's like uh, the the heels are becoming really cool and they're getting cheered. That could create an interesting dynamic down the line. But yeah, no, this was a, a good match. Uh Good enough action inside the ring. Uh, it's not we 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 didn't expect uh, sort of many fancy moves, but they did all that they do to the best that they can do it. So yeah, it worked well. Uh yeah. Um, this uh, again, we, I, I gave them credit for laying out the match earlier in a way that that really worked well. This really worked well. It's not necessarily a pairing that you would have automatically alive, particularly as you would have said, well, you put the outsiders in with a group of heels, they're going to get cheered. They did, but I kind of get the feeling they would have got cheered regardless of who you'd have put them in with. Because um, you could have justified the Nasty Boys being in the spot, obviously they're not tag champs, and that was part of the goal. But you would have ended up with like the Nasty Boys as the team you're trying to get over as baby faces getting a lesser reaction than the heels and it wouldn't have worked. And the other reason this really works, on top of that, was not only do you kind of have an excuse for the, the outsiders getting cheered, but it also meant that kind of the heat could be just as dastardly as the NWO 
in that it meant that they could kind of go toe-to-toe with him on the heel antics because they're both heels. That worked really well. The match was really strong. The crowd were all over it. The finish was... I mean, you know, I've been doing Hollow Heat matches for far too long to be surprised by this shit anymore. But the finish by any standards was really impressive because the pin starts and the ref just runs right past it. Really quite impressive. Um, but yeah, I, I think Pete, as for the finish, I think it was a simple case of much like in the main event, they wanted the NWO to go over, but in the least convincing way possible. And it is a little bit interesting that in both instances, in this match and in the main event, the NWO member won, despite being completely sparked out. <laughs> uh, any more thoughts, mate? Um, no, that's, that's actually a very good point. That, as you say, they managed to get pins despite being completely knocked out. Um, I think you're probably you're right, actually, in looking at it from that point of view. That let's just have them win, maybe at all costs, rather than completely, you know, dominating and take over. So, I think that may work moving forward. Hopefully, let's see how it goes. Craig, any more thoughts or hit the moment? Uh, no, I, th- I think that's uh, that, that's pretty much it. Uh, de- decent enough. We cut to the stands in the NWO section. Hogan is li- well. I, funny enough, it took me it took me far too long to work out that Hogan's hair wasn't like that. I, I put in my notes, Hogan has literally gelled his hair. He had. He was wearing, I was exactly the same. He's wearing exactly a wig, but I, I was watching. It, I went. Hogan's got more hair than usual, but not in a way that I thought was odd. Um, but yes, Hogan was wearing a wig with kind of spiked. It was funny. The, the reason it really worked was that you think if you're wearing a wig, you wear like a really, really full head of hair. But it was just convincing enough where it was just about thinning enough spiked gelled hair. It's like, that just about looks normal. But yes, it was a wig or a, or a toupee, as you might call it the other side of the Atlantic, or a syrup, as you, if you were Derek Trotter. Uh, Heenan says, maybe those are just nerve ends. Hogan says he's going to slam a long-lost puppy with the macho man. And we hit the main event. It's Hollywood Hogan with the giant and Ted DiBiase versus Randy Savage for the WCW World Heavyweight title. Savage's music starts, then randomly stops. He comes out the second time round and ushers out something through the smoke. Out drives a macho man monster truck. The windscreen is a giant pair of macho sunglasses and there's a hat on top to boot. Randy Savage is officiating. Hulk Hogan is wearing sunglasses and a wig as the bell rings. Hogan drops to the outside, thinking he's clever. Savage wants to get at Hogan in the corner. Hogan cows and the rest stops Savage getting shot in. We start with the headlock. Hogan looks ridiculous with spiked hair. They do a crossover, then Hogan stops and retreats to the outside. We still haven't started. Hogan hits some bizarre axe handle strikes. Macho Man rallies, hits the worst double axe handle of all time. He's got Hogan's shades on now. Hogan sees this and comedically begs off. He even wants a handshake. Savage punches Hogan, hits, uh, and his hit, uh, his hit causes the wig to fall off. Savage is now wearing the shades and the wig. We spill out onto the R-way. Savage tries to shove the wig into Hogan's mouth. Savage hits Hogan with a chair. That's fine, apparently. He goes again, but the ref cuts him off, and Hogan is able to get the shot on himself. Hogan crotches Savage on the guardrail. Out comes Miss Elizabeth. She's dressed for the occasion. If you recall back, she actually looks like the set of the 1993 Slamboree, which is a very odd reference, but she does. I looked it up. Uh, Savage gets the roll-up back in the ring, which waits up the crowd. Only at two. Hogan uses Liz as a human shield. He then scarpers into the ring. Savage hits a horrid-looking scoop slam. They run around the ring. We get back to Hogan using Liz as a shield again. He shoves her into Savage and then floors Savage. Back in the ring, Liz is using herself as a human shield to protect Savage. 
Hogan gets a bit possessive with Liz. He goes for a leg drop, but Savage moves. DBRC attempts to give Hogan something, but Liz manages to get a hold of it. Oh, and there's a ref bump. Savage is a body slam. Out comes another ref, but preposterously he just runs past all the action to tend to the down ref. I thought it was really good. Out comes a third referee. Of course it's Nick Patrick. I think you might know where this one's going. Savage hits an elbow drop. Patrick counts one, two, and now he's out his neck. The match continues. Savage hits Patrick. Hogan goes to hit Savage with the object. Savage blocks it, then hits Hogan. He goes for another elbow drop. But DBRC pulls him off, so Savage goes after him. Here's the giant. He chokes down Savage on the floor. Giant rolls Savage into the ring, drapes Hogan over the top of him. Hogan's completely spark out. Patrick gets down and emphatically counts the three. As uh, as Patrick stands up, his facial expressions are world class. He's so good at this role. Giant then returns with a, a bowl of ice and water. Hogan is spark out, so pours the ice onto Hogan and wakes him up. Hogan is absolutely fine again. Of course, we're only about 18 months removed from when Hogan once got revived by Randy Savage elbow drop. Listen to that on the January 1995 show. Uh, we'll come to what comes next in a minute. Craig, what do you think of the match? This is so shit. It's just terrible. Ter- it's, it's almost embarrassing. It's like, no one used to say that you're a wrestling fan and folk would immediately say, oh, that's fake, that's not real. This match makes me one of those people because some of it is just absolutely horrific. And then they have a terrible overbooked ending. And you can't help but think you've got two guys from the 80s fighting each other and at the conclusion another guy from the 80s comes out. What could possibly go wrong with this booking? Um, I think the word is embarrassing. I think you've got two of the biggest names in the wrestling industry having a match that is just, well, from Hogan coming out wearing the wig to begin with was a bit of a joke, surely. And then having Savage try to make him eat it and then Savage wearing it. And it was just, it was almost like, almost like, was it a comedy match? Were they just taking the piss these two as they were going along? For a main event, for a massive blow off that these two are going to have, it, it wasn't serious. It was it was almost like a comedy skit match all the way through. And Nick Patrick, I think I mentioned, I was going to say at the very beginning of the show in the um, DDP match, he is selling that neck injury and playing that character so well that it almost makes it almost watchable. So from that point of view, I thought it was great. But from the wrestling and the match point of view, bloody awful. Yeah, this was dreadful. I mean... You know, again, like, even if you can put aside all the comedy stuff, when they were trying not to be comedic, the action was awful. And then you put it all back in, you start with about five or six minutes. This is a world title match in front of WCW's highest paid gate ever. We didn't mention it at the news. Highest paid gate ever. And in part because they're just in Las Vegas and you can jump up all the tickets. You know, that's, that's why boxing traditionally is in Las Vegas, etc., etc. The, the most money they've ever made on a house in front of their biggest, with their biggest ever match, really? They got, I know it's a WCW match, but their biggest match certainly that we've covered in terms of a spectacle. Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage. The match two years in the making, if not 12, if you want to count their, uh, their, their WWF run. And there was no attempt to put on a match worthy of the name. You, you know, you can, we couldn't sit here and criticize had they have just had a bad match. 
and we would have been right to do so. But it's like they went in with the idea of having a bad match. Like this was, yeah, I think embarrassing is the word. It was dreadful. I mean, you know, like Savage couldn't string two moves together to save his life. Hogan was barely trying. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is crazy. I mean, you, you, you've been on this show to the, since the start. I mean, this is uh, probably the worst main event match I can recall watching. Uh, yeah, I'm genuinely struggling to think of anything that doesn't involve Mabel that could become close to, to being worse than this. Like, I mean, we, the, both guys are bound to know the, their sort of their weaknesses. Surely they can design a match not featuring comedy spots to, de- to hide those weaknesses, but I, it's just, it's utterly bizarre. I mean, do they still think that they're the world's best? Do they, do they just think that they're completely untouchable? It's just, I mean, if it serves as a, a sort of wake-up call, great. But, I mean, it's just, it's just really, really, really strange, cringeworthy you, stuff. You always wonder whether the joke's on them, don't you? I mean, Hogan's just negotiated a big new three-year contract. Savage may be on the way to doing so. I mean, if I'm WWF and I'm watching this, fuck Resign Savage for, for Bret Hart money. I know he's a name and I know you need it, but it's like... You know, the, there was there was a reason Vince McMahon started to phase out Randy Savage around the time we started doing this show, end of 1993, early 94, because his best years are behind him. Now, Savage will draw for a while longer yet, or he would have done back then, and, he, and he's shown that to an extent. But Savage now just isn't really worth the paper he's written on as an in-ring act. And don't get wrong, I'm sure if he did Savage and Bret Hart or Savage and Shawn Michaels, it'd be a lot better. Savage would probably be a lot more motivated for a start. But it was just dreadful. Um, You know, maybe the, the Doomsday Cage match back in March was worse. I don't know that it was. And Doomsday Cage match had no aspirations of being this great wrestling match. It was but, more of a spectacle. Yeah, I know that this did either. But it was like, there was enough going on in that match where I'm, I'm willing to give it a pass. This was just terrible. And Pete, let's come to the ending of, of, of the match. I mean, Nick Patrick's great. Let's be clear about that. He's fantastic. Yeah. His face expression was perfect. But just another one, and I, I, I think we need to frame this discussion by saying that they basically set this up with the idea that, well, if Savage doesn't come back, this is a way of writing him off. But if he does, then we've got this out that Savage effectively had the match won. Because Hogan was out for the entire time, much like Scott Hall was about 25 minutes before. So there's that. Um, Pete, what do, what do you think of the the end of the match? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it did maybe set up two ways of coming back into it again. But... You know, to have Hogan completely knocked out. I think when the Giant walked out at the beginning, you always knew there's going to be some involvement towards it at the end. But, you know, to have it happen outside of the ring, then have him put him into the ring, and then have him drape him over while no one's seen anything, and then Nick Patrick pins him, it did suspend your, your belief a little bit. But you're right, it does set up Savage's next move is, well, you know, Hogan was knocked out, I had him pinned, it should be my world title. Or, you know, if he does leave... Yeah, that's it. It's gone. End of story. We can forget about it. Craig? Makes you worry that you might have to see this again, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, God. Well, well, but I, I, do, I do see that they've got that they've got that fallback if if Savage doesn't head to the WWF that they can they can bring this up again and etc. It, it's it's clever, but it does 
make you worry that you are going to have to sit through another shit storm like this. I think, I think the, the egos involved, sorry, the egos involved here, I think Hogan and Savage think just because they're the main event, we're all going to sit there and be enthralled by the pair of them facing off in this big bill. But they've still got to deliver something in the ring that's that's credible as a main event. And if they're going to do this again, they've got to literally almost completely role reversal the match or put some something different, a different element into it if it does go back into another match between these two. Craig, if, if Randy Savage resigns, all we spent the last three months watching is Randy Savage getting his ass kicked by the NWO. At what point do people give up hope? Pretty soon, right? I mean, if he'd, uh, if he'd won this match, it would it would have been, I guess he'd have been like, oh, I never saw that coming. Amazing. He's, he's overcome adversity. But they've just had him beat down again. Yeah, it, it, it's, like, it's like that thing we, uh, I mentioned earlier on, just about how NWO constantly winning makes it look strong. But it does decimate the talent around them and yeah you, you look up and down the, the roster and if you've got like the guy that's called the unity candidate and Jeff Jarrett who was a field country singer 12 months previously it doesn't sort of make you think that there's there's much hope for WCW in this feud against the invaders don't even think about it Hi. Hi. So you're bored, are you? I've come here to break your monotony. Hey, Sprout. Sprout. Why don't you just head back with a Jolly Green Giant and take a break? Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, you know what, uh, Mr. Piper? There's a big lack of communication here because when I said that I made wrestling, when I said that I own wrestling and I control wrestling, now that I really think about it, I remember that you and I were running neck and neck. Why don't you shut up for a second? It's my turn. Be careful. I am not here to represent the WCW, the NWA, the SPCA, the SOB, although I can be one SOB when I want to be. Be careful. Be real careful. Yeah. I made a lot of money being real careful. <laughs> I'll tell you something there, Charlie Brown. You've been saying that if it wasn't for you, professional wrestling wouldn't be what it is today. Boy, do I got news for you. I come to you for a reality check there, partner. I come because, you see, I'm just as big an icon in this sport as you are. I am just as big a Hollywood movie star as you are. You know, let me have my piece because I'm shooting with this one, folks. I don't care, man. I'm a multi-millionaire, too. 
I started fighting pro when I was 15 years old. I've had over 6,000 professional matches. I've been stabbed three times. Who? Hello. Sit back, Sprout. Sit back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's cut. Wait a second. No, no, no. Shut your mouth. Let's cut. Hang on. Let me have the floor. I've caught your act. Where were you when I was 15 years old taking on all comers in a garage? Where were you? Playing the bass guitar in Tootsie's Bar and Grill? Huh? Where were you? Shut up, man. What's up, Piper? I'm going to call a spade a spade. We ran together. The heck with a backstory. We fought together. And I don't have a problem with you because, okay, as you've been out in Hollywood making all those movies and becoming a multi-millionaire, I have to think back and give the devil his due. We ran neck and neck. No, no, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> you remember WrestleMania? <laughs> Tell me something. If I hadn't knocked out Mr. T, took on the New York City Police Department, chased Dick Clark back, had my way with Liberace, if they didn't hate me so much, you think they would have been cheering you so much? Shut up, I ain't finished. Do you know what bothers you? I'm the only guy... You have never been able to beat. He's right. And I'll tell you something else. You're going to admit it. I am as big an icon in this sport, and whether you want to say it or not, you at least have the guts to put your hand out, and you shake my hand, and you admit that it isn't you that brought all these people here. It's all these people here that made you. Now, I'll be glad to. Let me tell you something, Piper. We've had wars to settle the score, which didn't get settled. And I thought you took off with your family and were at peace with yourself. But now that I see you face to face, me being the honest man that I am, Yes, I admit, you're just as big a superstar as I am. Then straighten up. Oh, by the way, Piper, on the way out, when you go to the bathroom, you're supposed to squat in that one. Let me tell you something. No, I've had enough. Let me tell you something. You're messing with Hollywood Hogan and NWO. You step back into my world. I can still see you've got the makeup on your face, Piper. And the way it goes, now that I look in your eyes, maybe we need to have the war that didn't settle the score. Craig, about four or five minutes ago, you said that 
you were worried about the idea that we might have to see Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan again. Are you not more worried that we're probably going to see Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper? Uh, yes, uh, that that isn't that's a cause for concern as well. The just the, the idea that we're keeping on seeing these recycled recycled feuds from uh, WWF gone by, and these guys are ten years older. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's pretty grim. I mean, I, the. It, matches between Hogan and Piper were never anything spectacular back in the mid eighties, and I can't see with the, the shift in the wrestling landscape that they're going to be anything other than a disaster in nineteen ninety six. Just a preface before we carry on. Uh, this segment ran out of time. Um, they sent Piper out there with about seven minutes left to go in the show, I think. Um, and you can tell once you have the context of this in mind when you go back and watch it that Hogan's trying to get a wriggle on, um, but Piper clearly isn't. And so the show just goes off the air with those three guys chatting in the ring. Um, Pete, dare I say it, they might have been helped by that because they, wherever they were trying to go, they were taking a hell of a long time to get there. Yeah, I mean, Piper I mean, initially came out and the music was playing. I think some of the fans were like, what's going on here? But it, you're right, Piper just seemed to keep going, well, let me tell you, let me, you know, almost like trying to, to talk down to Hogan. And Hogan was trying to come back quickly and get to where they needed to be. But it never really happened. And I think for to shoot this big angle, to, as you say, to set up potentially Hogan's next next match to leave it still on air them two still going at it and then the credits roll and we're out I think a bit of a disaster as a as a starting barb on this one Craig what do you think yeah uh, it, it's really bizarre considering they, they could have uh, shaved off at least 90% of the Hogan versus Savage match and we'd have still been able to criticise it for going too long that they left it so long for for Piper, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I think it's charitable to say walked down to the ring. He sort of hobbled his way slowly to the ring. I mean, I, I guess if you're a huge mark for the mid-80s WWF, it was a, a nice moment to see them in the ring together. But, I mean, yeah, uh, a, a really grim, grim way to, to end this show. I think you'd be talking like, what, maybe seven, seven out of ten if this ended just before the Hogan Savage match. But yeah, they, they sort of, it's, it's a terrible way to, to close a show. Terrible influence that Hogan's got over the WCW. Craig, what were they trying to achieve with the segment? Because I've watched it three times and I'm still not exactly sure. Uh, not... Other, other than the obvious of we're going to get the Hogan and Piper, they took a bloody long time getting there. Yeah, it was a very laboured way to, to, get to the position that they're going to have two old guys headline a pay-per-view in a couple of months' time. Yeah, it's just... It's difficult to think of any sort of positives out of this at all. Really, it genuinely is. I can't criticise this one enough. Yeah, I mean, when you... You know, we spent most of the year kind of seeing the future with some of these early-type matches. And then we get the main event with two guys that are clearly kind of sliding over the top of the hill if they're not already. In fact, they probably already are. And then we get to the end of the show. It's like, oh, shit, we've got Hogan and Piper. Like, you're going in the wrong direction here, WCW. 
Um, and you look at kind of the stuff Piper was saying, and you know, it was very, very clear that, you know, they are, you know, you've never beaten me. Well, yeah, no shit. I wonder what we're building to here. Um, let's think about this. Like, we're going to get Piper and Hogan, and Hogan's going to win. But it's like, you know, it's, it's almost like the, you know, the WCW main event just seems to sit in isolation to everything else on the card. And that regardless of what happens below it, regardless of what, you know, we're going to get, we're going to get Piper and Hogan, presumably in a championship match. Or presume, perhaps not, presumably. And you're like, what the fuck did Piper do to win a title shot when you've got Luger kicking ass and you've got, you know, guys like Meng and the Giant. And I know Giant's NWO as well, so that wouldn't quite make sense. But it's like everything's happening in isolation to everything else. It just doesn't work. Um, I don't know. This 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 whole segment was a real struggle. Like, you know, we'll play the whole thing, but there was about two or three things of note said. And the fact they ran out of time. Apparently what actually happened afterwards, because the segment just carried on, um, was that Hogan basically just said, right, we're leaving. And then um, he forgot his title belt, which I suspect was the setup. And then Piper grabbed the title belt and said, you forgot this. And that was kind of the idea, I think. Also, that was meant to play out on TV. It just didn't work, and it was, it was, you know, we just spent 15, 20 minutes getting it battered over our head that Hulk Hogan's over the hill and Randy Savage is over the hill. And then you wheel out Roddy Piper. Like, you might as well have wheeled out Luthers. Like, you know, you couldn't have gone any further. Like, you couldn't have, you could have round out, you could have wheeled out Terry Funk. You could have round out the point. I don't know if any more. I don't know. Anyway, anyway. I think you made a great point, Bob, regarding, um, uh, Hogan, obviously Piper's never been, sorry, Hogan's never beaten Piper, apparently, throughout their career, that is Piper just there to represent himself, not WCW, and Hogan just to get his win over him. Is that the reason why he's in? Which in the grandest schemes of the NWO is, makes no fucking sense. Exactly. So why are they doing it? As you say, the, the main event is totally not in the storyline of the angle. So it's a completely separate entity to what's happening in the whole company. Which absolutely makes no sense. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, anyway. Uh, Craig, your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10? Uh, yeah, uh, like I'd, I'd said, it'd, it'd be completely different if the, the main event wasn't there. I'd have been angling. I was at probably about a, maybe a seven, a safe seven before that. And I, th- I think that's maybe, oh God, to be honest, it maybe dragged it down even as far as a five. But to be charitable, because I'm in a good mood, I'll give it a five and a half out of 10. Pete? Um, I actually quite enjoyed it. I think the main event, obviously, it has definitely taken the show down a few notches, but I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. I think the, there was enough matches on there that were the good and noteworthy enough and good action for an undercard before we get to that god-awful main event. So I think a seven's fair for me. Well, I'll split the difference as best I can. I'll give it a six and a half. Um, the in-ring action, if you're, if you're just interested in in-ring action for the first two hours, is really quite strong. Um, I was perhaps a bit overcritical over the storyline development. As once you get through the first kind of two or three matches, it does pick up a bit. We get Jarrett and the Giant, Luger in arm. That feeds quite nicely into the... The, the Dungeon of Doom getting over with that angle, and then we get the the tag match, which is quite good. You know, there's 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 probably a bit more storyline in there that I perhaps gave it credit for. Um, but the main event, I mean, Christ, I mean, that's a that's a hell of a way to go for a match that you've built for so long. A hell of a way to go. I don't know, I'll give this a six and a half out of ten. 
Let me tell you, I could huff, I could puff, and I could blow nitro down. But I'm not going to. I'm going to lay out a few simple facts. You think that you're the new member of the horsemen. They brought you in. They say they passed you the torch from Ric Flair. They didn't pass you a torch. They passed you a wet match. Last night, brother, you know the deal. I had you in the choke slam. Ric Flair saved you. It's not going to happen anymore. Horsemen, you're all pathetic, each and every one of you. You band together like a pack of rats. You think you're so bad. You're not bad. You're afraid. Each and every one of you are afraid. You fight scared. You walk scared. And you are scared. Yeah, you could have a choke slam last night. But your day is coming. Someday, somewhere, my hand's going to wrap around your throat. I'm going to squeeze. I'm going to lift you over my head. And bam! That's the end of Jeff Jarrett. And horsemen, you get in my way one more time. I will take you out systematically. Like the lean, mean fighting machine that I am. When you go to bed tonight, check the closet, look under the bed, and say your prayers. Because believe me, you, there is a monster behind your back. We open up October the 28th with Tony Schiavone running down brief highlights of last night's show, focusing on the arrival of Roddy Piper. The plug, they plugged the show of his in-rig segment in full during the second hour, presumably if they've got time. Steve Regal's back from Japan and he's taking on Hooven 2 Guerrera. We cut to a shot of Sting who's sat high up in the stands. His new face paint seems to have gone full Brandon Lee. Six interrupts from the stands talking all about the NWO belts and tells us Sting to see the light. Lord Stephen wins with the Regal stretch. Dallas Page beats Mike Enos with a diamond cutter and Tony tells us about last night's Mysterio Malenko match. Next, Jim Powers loses again due to Nick Patrick and Teddy Long confrontation, this time at the hands of Malenko, with Psychosis watching on. Jeff Jarrett gets another win, going up against Ricky Morton in a match any old JCP fans would surely approve of. Post-match, Jarrett issues a rallying cry to the WCW locker room to unite against their inner turmoils. Hour 2 starts with the amazing French Canadians facing high voltage. Jacques and Carl get some cheap heat with O Canada. Patrick calls it off as the nasties run the ring. Strangely enough, the two turncoats get double-crossed, still trying to cut a babyface chromo. We again see Jimmy Graffiti. The blatant setups for Mysterio's high-flying are almost obscene, but Ray gets the win, bless him. AC Green from Phoenix Suns shows off his NWO shirt, shouting NWA. Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit make their entrances as AC gets it right the second time around. Eddie and the Crippler get a good amount of time and make the most out of it, despite Bischoff talking Piper, Hogan, Outsiders and Patrick. Benoit gets the cheap win after the briefcase to Eddie by Mongo. After the match, we hear from Nick Patrick's lawyer. Jericho interrupts and gets accused of having anger management issues. Teddy Long then gets involved and gets threatened with slander. Booker T gets a rare singles run out against Lex Luger. Booker getting the win by count out as Luger goes looking for Sting. 
the Piper promo from last night airs in full and Hogan's out live to respond. He calls himself the John Wayne of the 90s, does his best, best Randy Savage impression, bigs up the NWO's expanding trophy room. After calling out the fear in Piper's eyes, Hogan then does an 80s pose off in 90s spotlight as we go off the air for the month. Before we get into that, action, speak louder than words. If the Giant wants to get the job done right now, tell him to come on down in the ring right now and we'll finish it. Yeah, how about that? And I think he has gone, as a matter of fact. Well, that typical NWO. Big night for you last night. Not only did you take the fight right to the Giant, the horseman got behind you. A show of force. As a result, you escorted Arn Anderson along with Ric Flair to the hospital. Got a little payback to the horseman. It was quite a night for you last night. It was a big night. I said I was going to have it to style and profile, strut my stuff, holla Ric Flair, and I did that. I said that the Giant would not chokeslam me, and he certainly didn't do it. Everything I've said I'm going to do when I got to WCW, I've done. Uh-uh. Don't wind me up. i got something to say. I've got one challenge and a big, bold statement to say to you, Hulk Hogan and NWO. You will go down. The walls will, will crumble. But, Tony, one thing has to happen for that, for the walls to crumble, and that is WCW has got to unite. You know, when I got here, I didn't realize there was going to be a b- bunch of different groups and factions and cliques. You've got the uh, Dungeon of Doom jumping Benoit McMichael. you got Luger trying to permanently disable Harn Anderson. Then you got Sting. For weeks, you guys have been begging him to be the leader. Sting, if you don't want a leader, want to be the leader, I damn sure do. Me and Fl- Ric Flair will unite WCW. Then you got Piper. He's out here and he says... Oh, when he was 15 years old, Hogan was playing bass. He was wrestling. Well, I was born into the wrestling world. I got three generations in my family who've had a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. That's right, in this sport. So I've got more to lose than anybody. So, Hogan, you will go down. That's a promise. That ain't no threat. Just like all these other powder puff organizations, one by one they've gone down. WCW's been around since 1905, and they're going to remain a long, long time. All right, Jeff Jarrett here on Nitro, and we'll have more on TNT Live after this timeout. So, we've come out of the pay-per-view. Nothing really to discuss on TV on the 28th. Um, there is a bit at the end with, with Hulk Hogan cutting a promo in the ring himself to close out the show. The show goes off the air with Hogan posing along to his theme. Yes, I was expecting something to happen there. But anyway, anyway. Two major talking points, really. Well, what, what major talking point and one just general talking point that we've kind of alluded to throughout the show. Um, Ric Flair is out for the foreseeable future with a tall rotator cuff. Randy Savage may well be leaving the company in the next month or so. Sting is doing his own thing. Lex Luger doesn't feel like he's quite there yet. Um, Pete, we've been discussing this for the better part of two months now. And you're like, who's going to oppose the NWO? And I think the idea was, we'll build up the NWO as much as we can. We'll get WCW to sort their shit out. And then we'll have Flair, Savage, Sting doing his own thing. And a few other guys dotted around. And we'll have an even match. And... We're now at the point where all those guys, of one degree or another, are kind of MIA for the moment. And Jeff fucking Jarrett is the lead opposition of the NWO. 
How has it come to this? I think it's been a bit of a, as you say, the past two months, it's been a bit of a disaster. I think Flair, for me, I mean, we looked at the interview segment on Halloween Havoc with Jarrett and Flair. Jarrett was just a dud, stood there, and Flair's got the charisma. Flair's got the, the heat, got the fire, and he's someone that they could have got behind to go up against the NWO. Could he have got the horsemen to unite with the Faces of Fear, Dungeon of Doom, and or Luger, etc. over time to go up against Hogan and the NWO. But that's not going to happen for the foreseeable. And Jarrett, I said it earlier on, are we supposed to believe that the fake country singer can come in and, and be the man to lead WCW against the NWO? I don't think so. Craig? Uh, yeah, no, I disagree. I, I, I dig- Sorry, I agree. Uh, even, it, it's... I- I guess in an ideal world you need like the face of WCW to ride to your rescue in this instance. So that is either Sting or Ric Flair. If it's Macho Man, he's a WWF guy, so can you trust him, etc. And bringing in uh, Bret Hart, if they'd got that, would have really just made it look like everyone in WCW is so shit we have to go and get someone from the WWF to, to save us. So, yeah, it needed to be Sting or Flair. It's unfortunate with Flair, uh, his injury. Uh, and it's surprising then with that, that instead of going to Sting, they've went to someone like Jeff Jarrett, who just looks out of place whenever any sort of emphasis is placed on him. Yeah, I mean, Jarrett feels like an odd fit anyway. As in, if you'd have brought him in to be the kind of number four or number five guy, it would have felt a little bit up and down in that he's the former WWF guy. He didn't really have any success there. I mean, not that Six did either, and he's coming and done all right. And, you know, to an extent, not that Scott Hall did either. I suppose, you know, Hall and Nash, Hall and uh, Jarrett were at a similar level, actually, in the WWF, if you want to look at it like that. Um, but it's just, weird, like, you know, the Flair stuff's happened, it's all kind of gone, shit, we're just going to have to put Jarrett in Flair's spot and hope Flair can rub off on him. Yeah, good luck with that. It's uh, Like, like if, if to face off against NWO, you created Team WCW, in an ideal world, you'd have Flair and Sting at the top, and like you say, Jarrett would be sort of occupying that position of a sort of six-esque figure, wouldn't he? That sort of, when you've expanded the group beyond the real proper main eventers, you've got these sort of mid-carders, so yeah, just just, yeah, just terrible, I hate Jeff Jarrett (laughs) (laughs) I I hate the strut, the strut just winds me up just, just, oh please, stop it, stop it it, it, The the other kicker here is that I get the feeling that Jarrett's really dislikable as a character Yeah, it's not even like he's this particular natural baby face that just hasn't quite got over, it's like Jarrett's probably a far better heel than he is a face, and like we're asking you know, and he's doing his best I mean, let's, let's be clear about that he's trying, I think there's something to be said for that, particularly after the main event we just reviewed but it's just not there it's, it's like it's not even like Jarrett's been knocking around WCW's undercar for six months. It's not like they've picked out Rey Mysterio or Chris Benoit or something like that. They bought someone in completely flat. It hasn't been on national television in over a year as a pro wrestler who, you know, was a decent upper mid-card act in the WWF, but no more than that. Now, admittedly, I suppose to an extent, neither was Razor Ramon, and that's worked. 
but it's like Razor Ramon in part has worked because he's alongside Hulk Hogan and in part because he's alongside another guy and also just because Razor Ramon's quite big and probably you get the impression with Razor Ramon Scott Hall you have to adjust that depending on which bit I'm talking about you get the impression that Scott Hall as Razor Ramon was underutilised in the WWF whereas you watch a Jeff Jarrett you're like well they probably got about as much out of him as we could have expected Yeah, and it's like this just doesn't work. And and you're looking beyond Jarrett and you're like, okay, we've got Luger, but Luger's not, you know, we've seen Luger as the all, 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 all loving hero before. That doesn't work. But Luger's great in the role he's in, but Luger's a number three, number four. And it's like, Flair's out, Sting's doing his own thing. Would have come to admit, but Bret Hart would have been a massive coup in all of this in terms of a guy that you could have bought in. But you're looking at the landscape now, and they're already talking about turning one of the NWO back, which would be a disaster. Like, the the lesson to be learnt with a giant isn't to turn it back and hope for the best. It's to learn, don't fucking turn guys when they're about to become big baby faces. Now you've got to deal with it. That's the lesson to learn. Yeah. But you look around everywhere else, and you're like, well, I mean, all of the... all of the, Half the guys in that show we just watched were heels. Like, you know, the, yeah. the, 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 the two matches before the main event involved eight heels. That doesn't work very well. And you look down the rest of the show and it's like you've got Jarrett working as a baby face, isn't really a baby face. You've got Eddie Guerrero who's just come in. You've got Rey Mysterio who's an undersized Mexican who's not long been in the company. You've got all of that. And it's like, there's just not a lot here. There's not a lot of options. And, and you know, you look down that card and it's like, well, there's a lot of really nice number fours and number fives you could move up. You can move up Meng, you can move up Benoit, you can move up Guerrero, you can move up Mysterio. But right now there's no leader of the pack. And you look at the Sting stuff we covered, which, you know, might work, but we don't know. It's another risk to, you know, effectively kind of have fans cast their own doubt over Sting's loyalty. But the Sting's, but Sting's, only, Sting's only one man, though. As well, yeah. so, is, so is it a one man? One man can take on the entire NWO. Well, That's not going to work hard, is it? I don't think. I mean, I don't know, but I mean, he came out and attacked uh, NWO Sting, and they watched, hoping he's going to sign. Then obviously he walked off. But if he's going to keep doing that moving forward, eventually they're going to attack him, aren't they, and beat him up and lay him down, surely? But. One man can't take them all on, so there's got to be some sort of faction that's going to go against NWA. And it doesn't feel like there's anybody else out there that's available anymore, unless they want to pay Ultimate Warrior a lot of money, but I've got a feeling Warrior might still be under contract with WWF, so don't, don't sit on that one anytime soon. Love. Other than that, like I, I, I think now, now that the Brett thing's closed, all of the options for this angle are sitting within their roster. And maybe if you could just go on a win of prayer for a few months, maybe Piper's got to be the guy. Maybe Piper in the short term has just got to be, you know, he talks about him being on his own. No, fuck that. Lead the charge. Like, don't don't be the guy that's wrestling in the main event, so I'm sure he will be. Have Piper be the number one guy, as in, you know, you can tell that story any way you like, and just hope in the three months that he he lasts before, at last before he burns himself out that you can get Sting to a place where you want him. You can re-sign Savage and Flair could be where he is. Because I was still convinced that Flair and Savage was the big out for all of this. I thought that was the point, was that nothing was going to work unless Flair and Savage can reunite. Or unite, sorry. 
it just hasn't, it just, uh, Craig, this doesn't look like it's going to work right now, which is a big problem because the strength of the NWA in the long term, as much as it's worked really, really well so far, or quite well so far, with the NWO tearing shit up while WCW work out all their problems. At some point, they've got to do that. And if when they work out all their problems, they're like, well, we've got Jarrett and, you know, we've got Jarrett. Like, when they work that out, where are they going to be? Yeah, you, you sort of get a feeling that either there wasn't a plan, which is completely possible, or it was a sort of, oh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And they've just sort of had NWO just ride completely roughshod over everyone. Everyone has looked dreadful as a result of being hammered WO, and now you just don't have that believable saviour. Pete, any more? Well, even you've got the backstage aspect of Hall and Nash and Hogan as well. Even in fighting amongst, you know, real world uh, stuff where Hogan's just completely dominating everything and and taking over the whole control could also cause problems down the line. So, I don't know, there must be something happening. Let's hope next month, as you say, is Piper in just to cover this period of, of uncertainty around people to take our attention away maybe while the faces of fear and the horsemen work themselves out, Piper and Hogan have their thing. And then, as you say, can we regroup back when that's finished and then maybe go again, having had a chance to, to write it up and book it properly? We will see. We will see. But I tell you what, they're, they're going to look back when they've got a couple of days to spare and they're going to go, shit, we shouldn't have turned the giant. And it's like, nope. No, you shouldn't. You should no, have. You're absolutely right. Worked out another way. Find another way. Don't t- like Giant could have been their massive babyface right now, and not that Giant's this great promo, although he's actually doing quite well on the mic at the moment. But Giant could have been this ass-kicking babyface, and it would have worked, I think, just about. And then Sting goes off and does his own thing. Then you can do what you like with Flair, the injury you couldn't have accounted for, and then stories you can cover. Like, you know, it's like. In terms of the order of, of guys that are over, NWO right now feel like one, two, three, and four. That's the biggest problem. But we come on to probably the biggest story of the month across wrestling. Bret Hart, we talk about guys that could have saved this angle. Bret Hart very much could have been the guy, because fucking hell, they couldn't have put him with the NWO. That would have been a disaster. But... We discussed it a lot in, in, in volume two, but it's a very fascinating discussion for volume one, in part because most of the interesting stuff coming out of this story was what WCW were willing to do to bring in Bret Hart. So, you know, and to an extent we've got to sift through the mess because there's a lot of different stories, a lot of conjecture, etc., etc. What I think we know is this. Bret Hart was offered a three-year contract by WCW worth somewhere in the region of two to four million dollars, depending on who you believe. And bear in mind, there's it kind of benefits almost everyone if the offer WCW made was bigger than it actually was. As in, if people say it out loud like it was four million bucks. WCW looked better because they made a big offer. WF looked better because they convinced Bret Hart to turn down a big offer like that. And Bret Hart looks better because he looks like he's in demand. So in a weird kind of way, like this, the price of Bret Hart escalating kind of benefits everybody. But a three-year contract worth somewhere in the region of two to four million dollars, we think, probably on the lower end of that. With a lot of movies involved, they were also talking about Bret Hart being partly paid his contract by Turner rather than by WCW, much like Hulk Hogan's deal. One, so they wouldn't have to get around the problem of Bret Hart earning more money than Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, who've kind of got these clauses in their contracts that if anyone comes in for more money than them, they get a bump. 
So WCW only pay Bret Hart part of his overall deal, and the other half gets kind of accounted for by a movie deal. Bret would have got all that. And some of the other stuff they were talking about in terms of trying to bend over Bret, because WCW thought they had their man. And there was also a story where apparently at one point both sides thought the other was going to get him, which was probably around about the time where Brett was working things out with WWF. In the, a lot of people in WWF thought, shit, we just can't match this kind of money. And they couldn't. Yeah, as we said in the news, the, the, the contract Brett turned down from WCW over three years financially was probably worth exactly the same amount as what he accepted from the WWF over 20. Again, we discuss a lot of that in volume two. But Brett Hart, they, they made pretty much the best deal they could have possibly made. And I think, Craig, they can go to bed and think we couldn't have done any more to get Bret Hart. I think we can say that. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd agree. And uh, with uh, with much of the analysis there, it is a very interesting point, the one you made about the steel not going through really benefiting everyone. That, that That's really interesting. And, and I think we can discuss... I, I personally don't think... Uh, Bret Hart would have been a good fit for the NWO, but could you also imagine Hogan with more creative control in 1996 than he would have had in WWF in 1993, letting Bret Hart go over? So yeah, I'm not entirely sure that have worked out either. No, that was one of the the, the big undertones around the entire story, and one of the reasons why Bret Hart probably turned it down is there are big concerns that, one, Bret doesn't get on particularly well with Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan, and there's other stuff going on in WCW that he probably knows about as well. And just the concern that, well, I can sell myself out, but am I going to be treated the way I want it to be? Pete, what do you think about all this? Yeah, I think think you're right. I think Bret's played this very well with the... Shall I, shan't I? The price has bumped up, but I think inevitably he knew he was never going to be able to go to WCW and be the man without Hulk Hogan going, don't think so, because I've got the creative control. So if they'd have put Bret Hart to be the saviour of WCW, does that really work? I think Bret probably knew that himself. So I think he played that game superbly, you know, being, you know, the, the, the in a bidding war almost for his services and coming out probably on top in the end. I think I Bret Hart works better than Jeff Jarrett, doesn't it? Well, that's true. I mean, that, that is something to say, yes. But I do think Bret's ego would have would not have allowed that to have happened, maybe, because he would have wanted to come in and been, you know, a, a pin over Hogan. But in the end, I think he always knew Hogan would, was, would have won the war, as it were, because that's always going to be the case, I believe, at this point. Yeah, um, it's a fair point. It's an interesting counterpoint that one of the, apparently one of the clauses in the contract that Bret Hart signed with the WWF was that were Hogan to return, that he'd get a, he'd be able to pin him. That's an interesting little dynamic. But yeah, I, I, I think the logical progression of this discussion is what, ha- what would have happened had Bret had come in. And it's like, well, it's not the perfect fit him defending WCW against the, the outside group of former WWF guys. But it works pretty well. Yeah. Like, Brett comes in, and you can either say that WCW have just pulled the checkbook out, and they've got the biggest gun they can find to oppose the NWO, which makes a lot of sense. Or you can just say Brett came in and said, look, I know what Hulk Hogan can do to a wrestling company. I'm not going to let it happen again. And that's his that's his MO. Like, I think that just about works. And the... The key thing, the excitement, the, well, the, the exciting thought and the disappointing reality is that Bret Hart comes in and all of a sudden there's a load of really, really exciting main event matches that we're not going to get now. It's like Bret Hart not coming in, mean, well, 
perhaps it is. Perhaps Bret Hart not coming in means we'll get a lot of Jeff Jarrett main events next year. But Bret Hart comes in and he's got a main event with Hogan. He's got a main event with Nash, a main event with Hall, and probably a main event with Giant. We talk about Giant having a good match with Jeff Jarrett. I'm sure Bret Hart could have got a really good match out of him. There's four really good monster matches there if he'd have built it right. And for all of Bret Hart's weaknesses, I think he would have been an ideal foe for them. Or, well, less than ideal, but pretty good. Um, but Pete was, was kind of staring this disappointing reality now that Bret's still in the WWF and WCW are missing potentially quite a key part to this NWO puzzle. I think there's no doubt the match quality would have definitely improved in the main event. I mean, just witness the Halloween Havoc one. But you're right. I think if you'd have had Bret Hart, maybe had still had Piper come in, maybe Savage stays, Luger steps up. Then you've got four people, who we mentioned earlier on, are in that echelon, who could take on the top four, Hall, Nash, um, Scott, sorry, Hall, Nash, Hogan and the Giant. You've got a four on four to go with. Okay, maybe you've got the old time WWF, but at least it's something, and it's some names and it's some people to get behind. So it is a bit of a shame they've missed out, because our previous discussion says there's nobody left really now to to do it so uh, it is a big miss WCW but they did try particularly in the money terms to to go all out to sign Brett but it's a shame it's not happened in that sense Craig? Yeah no, I, I totally agree the one thing uh, the, the there's there's lots of match quality in WCW but it's on the sort of uh, lower end of the, the card so the addition of uh, Brett Hart would have certainly brought brought some uh, quality wrestling talent to the main event picture and uh, yeah it probably is a, uh, is a big loss for WCW in all reality uh, not to get them but Bischoff's probably saved himself a lot of backstage hassle as well that he certainly has and that will wrap up this month's show firstly a big thank you to Craig Olsen yeah it's been a pleasure to join you I don't do many WCW shows no you don't and your, your voice my voice has improved I don't know about you but I feel alright now yeah I might go out <laughs> no, 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 nothing beats a cold like going out in equatorial Scotland on a on a on a wintry October morning, eh? Something exactly. like that. Exactly. In the shorts like... and t shirt, no doubt. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Tough. Craig, uh tell people about your website and where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. of course, yep. Uh, I myself and a couple of my friends write about wrestling uh, of a vintage nature. You can find that at Ring the Damn Bell dot wordpress dot com and all social media links from there. And uh is it Jamie who's following through twenty years ago stuff with us? He seems to be going week by week. Yeah, he he's uh, taking a more snide look at WCW and WWF in nineteen ninety six than the sort of more serious approach that we take to it. But yeah, he's uh, every Friday he does the recap of Raw and Nitro and often on the Thursday covers the pay per views as well. There we go. And Peter Kimber, Pete, thank you very much. No problem at all. Thanks, thanks for having me on, Bob. I do appreciate it. Um, no, no problem at all. Uh, Pete, you've got a podcast and all the stuff to plug and all the I podcasts? have. I've got a podcast called Subject to Change, which is mainly modern day WWE with some ICW NGW thrown in. Also got a uh, website, cstcpodcast.co.uk. And you can find me on Twitter at Kimber one there we go. Right, some plugs from me. Firstly, we're on Patreon. Uh, patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 RS. You want to contribute towards this nonsense, you very much can do. Uh, earlier this week, people got access to the ECW and WF shows before they got released to the general public. So if you'd like to listen to us on a more regular basis or you just want to say thank you, five bucks a month will get you access to all of our shows as they become available, which is generally a bit earlier than when they go live. Uh, you can find uh, us at Patreon 
patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 rs links are on our website and in the podcast description uh, other stuff to close i'm gonna mute i think it's craig who's been a bit choppy so i'm just muting him there uh, much like last month, <laughs> I suppose, sorry, Greg, we were going to say, uh, you can find us at, uh, wrestling20rs, wrestling20rs.com, uh, for well, everything really, it's all on there. Um, and yeah, two other volumes this month, volume two, WWF, looking at In Your House, Buried Alive, and really the early, the real early rise of, of Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's funny how everyone picks out that Key of the Ring promo and not the October 28th Raw. Shame nobody was really watching that show, but um, I think if you're looking for a, a 1996 when the Steve Austin character debuted or or really kind of kind of rose to the occasion, it wasn't King of the Ring, and you'll hear all about that in volume number two. We also have a long discussion on the implication of Bret Hart, and those two storylines kind of converge as Bret's facing Austin uh, next month. Uh, And in volume three, to make up for last month's uh, ECW farce, if you want to call it like that, uh, you can listen to us review two ECW shows on the road to November to remember. Anyway, this has been volume one of the 1996, uh, October 96 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Uh, and until next time, goodbye. <laughs>